team comes in and they're like, okay, we're going to take him, we're going to prep him for OR. So they start wheeling him out and I'm walking with him and that nurse was amazing. She um, was walking with me, holding me. And I remember that the staff stopped halfway between the room and the OR where they take them back. And she looked at me and said, okay, you need to say goodbye to him because he's going to go into into surgery and we don't we don't know what's going to happen so you need to say goodbye this was an eye-opener and even though I did come back I came back I feel like I came back the way I did thanks to not only my my lovely wife here but also all the friends and family brothers in blue sisters in blue that came together to, to help me recover I'm a little bit more humble regarding the mortality of my life And so I have an understanding that, yeah, shit can happen. So just do your best to, to avoid it. Stay, stay fit, stay, stay healthy, uh, stay happy, positive, because a positive mindset uh, can go a long way, especially in, in health. I've, I've learned, and I definitely feel like this right now, that I, I'm not, very worried about him with what he does because so we're believers right and I I, I truly believe like he doesn't belong to me like he is God's son first before he's my husband and God gave him this heart to her to serve and to do this job he's thousand percent called to do this job and he does it so well you're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast Brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal. And we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back, ATO family and Bridging the Divide listeners. I'm Kristen Green. I'm here today with your host, Joe King. If we take man as he is, we make him worse. If we take man as he should be, we make him capable of what he can be. Viktor Frankl. Good-natured, tolerant, trusting, idealistic. These are words that describe someone who often sees the best in people. Someone who greets each day, each person, each situation with positivity and the enduring notion that people are good. Someone who chooses to lift people up when it would be easy to tear them down. This quality is rare to find today, let alone in the off-jaded law enforcement professionals. Yet this quality can be a key component to resiliency, a buzzword we hear a lot these days. But the idea of resiliency is more than just a pop psychology fad. It's an important step in the protection and the recovery from trauma, something with which all police officers, including Dallas, are familiar. 
I'm excited about today's guest because he truly embodies this trait and is here today to share the story of his recovery from a major trauma, due in large part to his resiliency. After nine years in patrol, he still manages to show up each day with a smile and a positive attitude. He would quite literally give you the jumper cables from his car. His relaxed and positive demeanor, not to mention his prominent nipples, have de-escalated more than a few tense situations. And he recently found a niche he loves, training rookies as an FTO. He has a wonderful and very intelligent wife, Kathy, who has weathered the storm with him and is here with us today. I'm excited to introduce Julian Joey Arvizu. Welcome, Joey and Kathy. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. That was so moving. Was that on me? <laughs> um, you're going to be pissed at me. Why? What'd you do? You didn't hit play. No, middle name. It wasn't was... recording. No. no. <laughs> you're kidding though, right? I, I'm exactly right. I was, I was like, I wow. I so much to get through that intro. I could, I yeah. could, I could hear that quivering in your voice and I no, had to look away. It's not easy. I had People, to look I down for a I mean, I'm not, I can't, I can't do it good. But um, anyway, thank you all for coming on. Um, Thanks for having us. Uh, I know you all have listened to some of these. Uh, I want to get in, before we get into Joey, I want to talk uh, talk to Kathy. Tell the listeners who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So, I'm Kathy Arvizu, wife of Joey, um, and I am 38, going to be 39, originally from South Texas. I'm currently a middle school librarian, and I've been doing that for about 16, 17 years. So I've been in education for that long, and I love working out. I love Joey. We met at a gym, so that's been a big part of our life. I come from a really big family. I've got um, three, num- number what, three of five kids. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just got, I have three sisters and a brother and big family and parents are really, you know, supportive and Joey just kind of fits in really well with our family and it's, it's just been awesome to it's a good family. know him. Kathy has a really close family. Yeah, we're very close. Like and my sisters are my best friends. They really you guys are. look exactly like <laughs> they do. We sound yeah. the same too, right? And they're all very educated. <laughs> And that honestly, yeah. this story is one of the things that I'm very excited about this story because oh. this is the first time that I was able to really see what it meant to be part of the blue family. Like we'd been cops for a while or whatnot, but this was the first time that I got to experience firsthand mm-hmm. kind of what it was like going through a trauma or what it was like seeing a, someone go through a trauma, yeah. being a police officer and seeing that blue family like really rally around. And I was also really impressed with Kathy's family because they also really just rallied around a lot. And I love couple episodes because I really love hearing the spouse point of view, too. Sure. Yeah, it was amazing. I agree. I don't think I really quite understood what Blue Fam meant. I mean, we we call ourselves that right in our text group and our messages. But and Joey says that, you know, since day one, my Blue Fam, my Blue Brother, Sister, whatever. But that event really honed in a whole new perspective for me on what that meant and it's something I'll never forget. And I'm so proud to be a part of it. And it's a I, thing. I love what you all do. I'm, I'm impressed every day. So proud. So incredibly proud of, of who Joey is and who y'all are and what you do every day. And I just, it's tumbling. Thank you. <laughs> so Joey, are you ready to dive into this? Sure. All right. We're going to start off slow, you know, and get it going. And we're going to snowball up to the, uh, to some incidents. Sounds but, good. uh, Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Um, kind of like all over. Uh, I was born in Seattle, Washington. Um, raised a little bit there. 
uh, I believe, maybe two years in, in the Washington State. And then we moved to uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin to be specific. And uh, apparently we were there from my infancy to about second grade. Mm. Uh, third grade, my dad decided to take us down to the Rio Grande Valley, uh, Mission, Texas, and uh, start a business there selling uh, refrigerated trucks and trailers. So from third grade to about sophomore year of college, I was in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, And then I decided, because at the time I had a big, like a best friend who was like the big brother I never had. And uh, I was like, well, I like whatever he likes. And he's my big brother, you know? And so at the time he was trying to pursue uh, an educational career in uh, physical therapy. And I was like, well, if he likes it, I guess I'm going to like it. And so, because we were very much alike. And so uh, I went up to San Marcos, uh, Texas State. They had the best orthopedic physical therapy program in the state of Texas. So I wanted to be a part of that. And uh, pretty much uh, that's as far as growing up. Like, okay. Because right there, that's uh, where the whole military story comes into play yeah so you you're talking about home life you start off in wisconsin and you kind of move when you moved off from there you were too young really you didn't really have to you don't do you remember those bitter winters up there oh my god um my dad would jokingly get a pot of boiling hot water and we were in a in like a two three-story house and he would throw it outside the window and it would turn into ice when it would land on the ground yeah It was, and also, like, I guess our insulation wasn't all that great or anything because icicles would be forming on the insides of the house. Oh, my gosh. That sounds miserable. It was was pretty cold. That's, And I think that's the reason why I am very much a cold body. Like, I am miserable when it's hot outside and I'm sweating my ass off. Like, I am miserable. But I can, for some reason, just handle the cold very well, and I guess it's because of my upbringing. Yeah, I like the cold. I'd rather, I'd rather warm had to warm up and then cool off absolutely no, no. i'm total absolutely. no no because i was born and raised in in rio grande valley and so i'm like fine no, with the yeah. heat. Oh, i could yeah. wear as little as possible you just don't <laughs> know any, you didn't know any better <laughs> that's <laughs> true maybe you're right i do i like the fashion better for colder weather yeah. <laughs> maybe but i've heard stories of people needing like buddies to leave the house in like Minnesota during the winter. Why? Because it's a white. I think Jessica told me that story about it being like a whiteout, and yeah. you have to have a buddy to leave the house because you can't see anything. Oh my gosh! And that's gonna be a negative for me if I can't leave right. the house without a buddy. Then it's like it's too cold. on that Empire Strikes Back, the uh, the Tauntaun. Oh yes. <laughs> I feel like as long as I'm prepared for any type of weather or temperature, then I'm happy. It's fine. I can I can love it all, but I have to be prepared. I have to have. The coat, the boots, the, you know, scraper, whatever. Scraper, yeah. Yeah, I I just recently learned from one of my rookies um, uh, that there's such thing as being uh, heat cranky or something like that. Because it was back like a couple months ago where it was super hot, triple digits and everything. And I would get to work and I'd always try to be in the best mood, especially if I had a rookie in the car. (laughs) And I would get in the car and like, I remember there was this one day where I was just like, where I told I told my rookie I was like Rachel I'm so sorry like I am just not in the mood right now and everything and she was like oh you're heat cranky and I was like what is that and she was like yeah. you're cranky because of the heat it's a thing and I'm like you're kidding and she was like no it's a That's thing about right and some I was made like, up makes millennial sense. word <laughs> hey haven't you all haven't you all said before though that like 
crime can kind of escalate when it's really hot. No, because it does. People are that is a yeah. Dude, yeah, okay. everyone's pissed. Somebody's sitting around <laughs> all pissed do, off. Yeah. And, right. You know, and some of these houses out in yeah. southeast just have That's a window hard. unit for the whole house, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. You, you touched on the uh, military experience. Can I tell, tell the listener how you, what you did? And you have a funny story, too, that uh, you got the you made a decision on it. Yeah. Um, so when I went up to San Marcos, I went up there to do the whole physical therapy thing. Uh, and then initially the parents were like, hey, you can – since I didn't qualify for financial aid for whatever reason, uh, I had to pay from it from my own pocket or the parents helping or something. And so at the time, I was working at Academy Sports and Outdoors to help pay the bills and stuff like that while I was going to school in San Marcos. And um, there was one, I believe I got there in the spring of 2010, and they were like, hey, sorry, kiddo, like you can only do... Uh, two classes. And I'm like, that's fine. You know, as long as we're getting this ball rolling, that's okay. And then, and then uh, summer comes around and they're like, sorry, you can't do summer school. And I'm like, that's fine. Like I'll, I'll work, you know, not a lot of people go to summer school as far as college goes. That's fine. And then fall came around and they were like, sorry, uh, can't go to school. And I was like, damn. So, uh, spoke with Academy, uh, sports and outdoors and, uh, they made me full time. And so I was that poor soul at the front of the door, at the front of the store that waves at people and, yeah. and checks out like receipts and stuff like that. Time would melt away. Like yeah. it was, it was terrible. Like I'd be like, okay, three, I think three hours passed. So that means in reality, 20 minutes passed. Damn. And so it was rough. And so, um, at the time, I was uh, training with this amateur, like, uh, MMA team. Like, I wasn't competing. I was just hanging out, you know, but sparring with them. Releasing some frustrations from that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. And so, like, uh, and I remember at one point I was complaining to one of them. I was like, dude, I came up here to San Marcos to go to school, not work at Academy Sports and Outdoors full time. Great company, nothing wrong with Academy of Sports and Outdoors, but like uh, I shout was there. Out Academy, yeah. I was gonna say, out. I like how you always add sports. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah. sports and outdoors. <laughs> Just to make it clear for the listener, not the other academy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and so he told me, um, one of my buddies, he was uh, he was part of the, the little uh, MMA team that we had. He was an airman uh, with the Air Force, and uh, and he said he was just like, dude, why don't you why don't you join the military? And he was like, I mean, he's like, you're not dumb. Like, uh, you're, you're, you're in decent shape. Like, why not? And I was like, yeah, why not? Why not? And then he was just like, yeah, I'll pay for school and everything. And I was like, yeah, why not? And so it was funny because my mom at the time, she was just like, don't join the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I was like, all right, all right, all right. That's, I guess that's fair. Whatever. Like, uh, don't worry. I won't talk to him. And so my buddy takes me to an Air Force recruiter. And the Air Force recruiter is like, hey, these are the jobs that you qualify for. And essentially, uh, we were uh, in route to sign a contract for me to be a uh, uh, crew chief. And crew chiefs are the guys that get uh, the planes ready for the pilots and everything, um, make sure everything's good, missiles and all that goodness, all systems are go and everything. And um, I 
told the recruiter, hey, give me a second to think about this. It's kind of big. And um, and when I came back, I think I, I think I thought about it for like a month. And when I came back, I was like, okay, cool, let's do this. And I was like, hey, wh- how soon can you get me out of here? Because I was, once again, dying at Academy. And standing there greeting everybody, grinning. Oh, with man. Feld smile. It was rough. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and so uh, – I was like, uh, I I asked the recruiter, like, how soon can you get me out of here? And she was like, you'll be lucky if you're out of here in a year. And I was just heartbroken because I thought it was like, sign right here. You're on a bus uh, next week, you know, and like how the movies tend to depict. And so and and so I was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take my business elsewhere. And so on uh, one of my days off, I went to the recruiting station and so I was like, all right, and let's go see what the Army has to say. And so, like, I walk into the Army uh, office and everything, and um, there's this recruiter there. He just, like, waves me over. And I'll, I'll be honest, like, uh, the poor guy probably wasn't feeling all too well that day. I don't know if he had the flu or if he was, like, hungover. He's probably working at an academy, <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I get it. No, but it's so... Uh, and so he he was poor guy. He was like real lethargic, like not energetic or anything like that. And he was just like typing on his computer. And he was like, "Well, yeah, um, these are, uh, yeah, these are the jobs that you qualify for." And I was like, "Okay, this is kind of cool." Did you like, say door greeter. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Sign me up." Yeah. It's like you've got the dimples. Yeah. We're gonna put you up front, <laughs> recruiter. You're on just here for the posters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fast forward. I'm just standing there yeah. in cabbies, just waving at people. Yeah. <laughs> and so. And so I was like, okay, this is kind of cool, like, whatever, like, poor guy probably wasn't feeling too good. And so, like, I walked out of there, and I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. And then it had to be God what happened next, because um, I'm standing out there, I'm about to walk out, and then I look at the offices real quick, and I see the few, the proud, and I was just like, mm, that's cool. And I was like, uh kind of scary and so uh it was too funny though because right when i'm looking at the office i look to the parking lot and there's this uh marine just uh, walking across the parking lot and he's in his uh service chucks which i believe were um uh olive green uh khakis uh short sleeve button up uh tan collar shirt uh with a cover uh hat uh, in military language and uh stud just walking through the parking lot and then at one point he stops and he just looks at me <laughs> this match yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like yeah. uh, and i was just like what wow. is going on here blow, blow him a kiss <laughs> is it hot in here <laughs> and so like and so uh oh my God. and so he looks at me and he just nods his head and I was like, whoa. Wow. And I like nod my head too. And this then guy he is just, so cool. and then he just walks uh, straight into the few, the proud, and the door closes behind him. And I was like, uh. I'm going to go eat first before <laughs> I have to see what these guys got to say. And so, uh, right a few, a few plazas down, there was a Chick fil A. So I went there. And I'm eating, I'm eating my sandwich, and I was just like, okay, cool. Like, I guess I'm going to be a soldier, and that's kind of cool, and this and that. And, you know, they, they said they had three-year contracts, you know, so I don't know. And, like, so I'm thinking about it. And then, like, I guess it was God again. He was just like, dude, just see what they have to say. And so I was like, okay. And so uh, I go to – I walk in, 
I walk into the office and and there's this uh, Marine in there and uh, he had his uniform uh, hung up and he was like in a Chicago Bears jersey, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, they Cas- are casual they, Wednesday. They are human. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so like uh, he's like, what's up, man? And I was just like, hey, sir, just here to get some information. That's all. And then he was just like, come here, sit down. And I was like, okay. It's, uh, Ooh, <laughs> like, it's authority. So, take, <laughs> take your pants off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, what's we'll Whatever you want. <laughs> and so like, and so like uh, and so I sit down and he puts all these chips on the on the on his desk and the chips had words on them. And it was like, I don't know, it was like leadership, school, sense of belonging, uh, job, and he was just like, There's from all these chips, pick three. And I think if I remember correctly, I picked uh like good job or something, job security. Job security, um, sense of belonging, education. And then he was like, All right, cool. And he was like, Yeah, blah, blah, blah. This is this is good stuff. You know, you'd be you'd be a good addition. And I'm like, Okay. And then he was just like <laughs> and then the selling point was, how many pull ups can you do? Uh, and I was like All of them. And I was all like of them. as many as you I was need. like, yeah. I don't know. And then he was like, Let's find out. And I was like, Let's find out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we go to the pull up bar and then I start doing them. I think I only got like twelve. <laughs> like oh. yeah, nothing, nothing amazing. And he was just like, All right, cool. Like, how many crunches can you do? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, let's find out and I was like let's find out it's <laughs> so, so I'm on the floor and he's holding my legs and I'm crunching and everything and uh and he's like all right cool good job and then he goes the, the the selling point he just looks at the wall and there's a calendar on the wall and he's like check it out that's our boot camp matrix and I was like okay and then he's like it's three months long it's like it's the longest boot camp in the military. It's why we're the best and it's why you're here. And I was like, my hands on my chest. I was like, what? Speak <laughs> <laughs> it to my soul. Yeah, I was like, say less. And so, uh, and so he was like, what do we have to do to get you to sign up? And I, and I was already sold. Like, I'll be a door greeter, you know, for the Marine Corps. And so I was just like, uh, give me a cool job. Get me out of here in less than three months. And then he was just like, okay, because I heard that three months was, at the time, the soonest you could get out of there. Mm. And so he was like, all right. He's like, I will get you out of here in three months. So he was much more enthusiastic than the Army guy. That, oh, that, man. That, that, like the sloth on that cartoon, was that Zootopia that barely... <laughs> the Army's listening yeah, to this yeah. taking notes. Yeah. No, I love <laughs> <the> <laughs> well, No, like no I'm just it. talking about the one recruiter for the <laughs> Army. Was. Was, yeah. <laughs> He was happy he clearly, to day. He clearly did not win over the Marines that day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they had the magic moment with guy walking in with the... Yeah. The, he didn't make eye contact. Yeah, that's yeah. probably why. Their time didn't slow so, you know, and the music so you didn't have to feel wanted, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and you got a workout in, too. Oh, the, yeah. I, was, I had a pump going. After yeah. Chick-fil-A. Really, that floor curl thing or sit-up thing was the magic. The yeah, magic touch. Because he's holding his leg. Yes. It's romantic. So you, you join up mm. and then tell us about how it started. Well, it was funny there. because um, he got super mad at me because initially, and this is going to sound ridiculous. Uh, like, found out you weren't a Bears fan. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, He did something that I was like, whoa, this is, this is, I don't know about this. So he pulls up my contract and he was like, check it out. I know this contract says six months. I know you see that. Mm. And then he was like, I will get you out of here in three months. And then I was just like, okay. And like, essentially the cards that he was holding was, was essentially he was hoping that one of the recruits was going to back out at the last second. Mm. 
And he was like, that's how I'm going to get you out of here in three months. And he was like, he was like, Hey, at least this contract doesn't say one year. Right. And I was like, damn, I was like, you got a point. Mm. And so I said, all right, I, I, I trust you. And so like, I, I signed that contract for six months. And then a month later, it's like my day off at work. And Kathy knows on my days off, I hibernate. Mm. I like sleep in till the early afternoon. Like I, it's pretty I, bad. It's, We're still working on that. <laughs> She's like, get up. Yeah, yeah. yeah Kristen like, does too. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and so, and so, I wake up and I have so many missed calls, so oh many missed god. text messages, oh. and I'm like, what's going on here? And so I call him, and he's like, Arvizu, where the hell are you? And I was just like, I'm at my house. And he's like, bullshit. We sent someone to your house, pounding on the door. No one answered. <gasps> and I was like, man, I was really out last night. <laughs> and so like. Um, he's like, do you want to get out of here in December or January? And I was like, December, let's do this. And he's like, get over here. And so I get there initially the six month contract that I signed, I was supposed to be, uh, Intel and, uh, you don't have to be Intel to be Intel. And so like, uh, uh, same a DPD. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, and so he said, check it out. Bad news. And I was like, oh no. And then he was like, you got to change your job. Hmm. And I was like, what are my options? And then he said, well, you can go infantry or you can do um, motor T, which is like mechanic, truck driver, or you can do air delivery specialist. And so funny story, backtracking a second, my mom, when I I called her after I realized I was going to join the Marines, and I told her, mom, I'm a grown-ass man. If I want to join the Marines, I'm going to join the Marines. And she said, okay, fine. Just don't go infantry. And I was like, okay, that's fair. And so looking back, I would have went infantry. And so like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you should have. And, so, uh, and so I said, okay, what's Motor T? And yeah, recruiter was like, uh, you're like a truck driver mechanic. And I was like, what's air delivery specialist? And it was pretty funny because he was like, I don't know, <laughs> but you get to go to jump school. And I was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so like... Uh, and so I said, screw it. And I signed a three-month contract as an air delivery specialist. So so I guess that's common, though. People backing out the last minute. That's why he kind of banked on that, yeah. right? Mm. So and it, and it worked. Yeah. But you did, but it was a different position than what you originally thought. But. I forgot the main bummer was he said, bad news, you got to change your job. And the last bad news, you got to go reserve. Oh, and mm. I was like, oh, no. And then he went <laughs> in true recruiter fashion. He's like, don't worry. You can go active whenever you want. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. And so, like, I was dying at the time. At, and how old were you then? I was 22. Oh, yeah. yeah. What year was that? That was 2010. Okay. And so I said, screw it. Three-month contract as a reservist, air delivery specialist. And so before going to boot camp, we had to go to my unit so they could uh, talk to me and everything. And as we're walking uh, through the halls, we walk into the shop and there's parachutes everywhere. And he was like, oh, he's like, you're a parachute rigger. And I was like, what's that? He was like, you pack them. And I was like, okay. He was like, you also get to jump them. And I was like, also cool. Mm -hmm. And so ended up, uh, that was the gig. So how many times have you jumped out of a plane? 19. Wow. Um, 19 at, it's, it's not, it's not impressive. 19 at 1200 feet, but once at 10,000 feet 
And that wasn't impressive either because it was a tandem jump. <laughs> and so I had a dude strapped to my back. Like, and I told them, like, fast forward, just, just, just to say, uh, I, after that tandem jump, I was pumped. It was amazing. And I looked at my, my, my command staff and I was like, you guys sent me to free fall. I re-enlist. Mm. And they were like, okay. And I was like, you're not going to do that, are you? <laughs> and so didn't re-enlist. Dude, so, oh. so yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's the story uh, right before boot camp. So did you, did you quickly notice the brotherhood in the Marines? I mean, is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, did yeah. You, did, what did you think about that? Um, uh, it, the funny thing is you would – you're so tight with these guys, you know, you know everything about them. Um, like every, also, you know, you know, things that like, you know, and also you guys were so close, you're practically like siblings. And so, um, I mean, there was a couple times like where we've gotten like me and my boys, like we would get so mad at each other for whatever reason, we kind of like being in each other's face. And I'd be like, Oh, cool. We're about to fight. All right. And then like, 10 minutes later, it's like, hey, bud, like, want to go get chow or something or anything? And, like, you kiss and make up and all that It's like siblings, stuff. yeah. Yeah, it's, it legitimately feels like like siblings. But the beautiful thing about law enforcement is it's almost, it's very similar to the mm-hmm. military. Like, and that's what made me, because before I was applying to law enforcement, I was trying to go active. And mm-hmm. so... Um, once I got the, the nod to come in to law enforcement, uh, I remember, I think I was like a year in and I got a phone call from some first sergeant and he was like, Hey, do you still want to go active? But I was already so in love with law enforcement and the brotherhood and everything that I told him, I was like, first sergeant, thanks, but no thanks. I'm, I'm good now. Like I got a career, you know. So what drew you to law enforcement to begin with? It's actually pretty funny. Um, Kathy and I, we went to go see. Uh, oh, and y'all had already, but y'all met before. You got you before he to, was DPD. Yes. Yeah, but no, before he decided to get into the law enforcement, he was still marine. Yeah. Okay. Before, like, yeah, I, we. I met him. You were just done with MOS, or I forget when I. Yeah. What so, you were. so on, as far okay. as the the reserve pipeline yeah. goes and mm-hmm. training, uh, you go boot camp. Mm-hmm. Um, MCT, Marine Combat Training, it's like baby infantry school. It's like a month where infantry school is three months. And then you go to your MOS school. And so I had gotten done with my MOS school, and I came back to the Rio Grande Valley. And um, You were trying to figure out what to do, whether you were going to go back to school or if you were going to work full-time somewhere in South Texas. At the time, I was a personal trainer and a reservist, uh, just doing that, doing the thing. And, um, Kathy, uh, when, when I was trying to go active and they were saying, Hey, sorry, we're not taking any active right now due to downsizing and stuff like that. Kathy was just like, you know, just career professional, like trying to, you know, get me to where I need to be. She was like, Hey, what's your next move? What's your next move? Mm -hmm. And then I was just like, well, try law enforcement. Like I heard that military transitions well. 
And um, the nail in the coffin was we went to the movies and we saw End of Watch. Oh, really? That's why you joined? Yeah. (laughs) It was the nail in the coffin. Oh, my God. I I was crying so much. I think you teared. I think you cried, too. Oh, yeah, I probably did. (laughs) I remember walking out like I can picture that actual cinema, like the complex where we were sitting and walking out. And we looked over at me and I said, oh, no. You're going to want to be a cop now, aren't you? And I was like, no. No. I was like, never. No. Yes. Yes. I'm applying tomorrow. I'm like doing my application right there. I need to rewatch that. It's been, a, it's been a minute. It's. I don't yeah. know that I'll ever. There's a lot of movies well, that I just won't rewatch. Well, the ending is just. It's heavy. Uh, it's, it's, it's yeah. heavy. But, but the, the brotherhood and then the mm. partnership. Oh, yeah. Man, that was, that was dead on, really. Oh, yeah. It really was. I mean, oh, yeah. a lot of cops feel that way. I've heard from a lot of cops that have seen that show or movie and just that's the cop movie yeah misty actually one of the episodes i can't remember which one it is i'm sorry misty that misty actually references that mm-hmm. um that movie remember that in her intro i can't remember which episode you yes know. It, it's damn on, i haven't seen i know it's yeah it's, it. it's one of the epi- it's one of our own episodes and mm. i i can't remember too many episodes that's so good but, but i think that was it right that's when we started thinking about law enforcement so we we quickly started looking at or Joey started looking at the cities and the area, what different departments and their requirements and qualifications. But then I told him, I I don't want to live here anymore. I want to move away. Like, I don't want to what, be here. Would, would, how did Dallas get on your radar? Well, before we get to that, okay. do you want to talk about the story about how we met? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get, let, <laughs> CrossFit. Spoiler alert, CrossFit. CrossFit. Yeah, well, yeah, spoiler alert. I, I, yeah. I, I, I could tell the story. Uh, what's it called? You could tell your perspective. Yeah. I'll tell I'm, my I'm perspective. Yeah, 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 I'll tell mine first. Uh, what's it called? I want to uh, see how, how different. similar yeah. different I've been at the are. gym longer, let's just say. Yeah, right. Uh, so when I got back uh, to the Rio Grande Valley after training and all that, I was at gyms doing pump sessions and everything. And and, and uh, I... Honestly, I really just missed having some direction, like someone just legitimately telling me like what to do, like, hey, this is what you're going to do now and this and that. Like I, I like, yeah, I had the military engraved mm-hmm. in my Very head. Marine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You need a structure. Yeah, right? yeah. absolutely. Still yeah. a little like that. <laughs> yeah. I need some direction sometimes. <laughs> and so, uh. I'm and a drill sergeant. She's a line tanker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, drill instructor, drill sergeant. And so, uh, and so uh, I remember at one t- at one point I was at the gym and I was just doing like I think I did chest and buys for the second day in a row. I was that that Ew. just that. This yeah. is a very God. specific story. I was just oh like my God. that. Like uh, I just need that much direction. And so, uh, and so I remember one of my sergeants in MOS school made me do. Uh, a CrossFit workout with him, and I hated it. Like, I was miserable. I was hyperventilating. I wasn't looking in the mirror and flexing. Like, it was just terrible. And so uh, uh, I remember when I was at the gym, I was just like, I was like, that maybe I should check that out again. And so at the time, CrossFit was brand new to the Rio Grande Valley. Mm. And so I Googled on my phone CrossFit, and this one gym came up, and it was Ranger CrossFit. Shout out Ranger CrossFit. Mm. And so I went there. I went there, tried it a couple times, loved it, and I was like, okay, cool, I'm signing up. And then I think like a month or two later, um, there was this one day where we had this terrible workout. And so it was 100 man makers for time. And so a man maker is you have two dumbbells in your hands, you're standing up, and you jump down into a push-up position. You do a push-up, and then you 
single arm row, single arm row. You jump up and then you squat with the dumbbells and then you strict press them overhead. And you had to do a hundred of those. And so that workout wrecked me. And so like, I remember sitting on the box and I'm just like hyperventilating. I'm just like sweating and, and I'm a little dizzy. They're like, uh, all of a sudden, you know, this pretty little thing, like just runs into the gym smiling. And I was like, what is she smiling about? I was like, does she, does she know how terrible this workout is? And like, and she comes over and she's saying hi to everyone. She was a social butterfly and everything. And I was just sitting there just like trying to concentrate, like trying to get my breath and everything. And then all of a sudden she comes by and she starts kind of like stretching near me. And I was like, I got to say something. <laughs> I was like, she's really pretty. Like, I got to say something. And then like, all I could think of due to the exhaustion was that I couldn't drive. And so like, I looked at her and she looked at me and she smiled and everything. And I just looked at her and I was just like, I can't drive right now. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she started laughing and I was like, yeah. And so like, but it's the truth. And so like, uh, she was like, yeah, the workout looks really tough. And I was just like, ah, you're probably going to crush it. And so, um, and so, yeah, that was the first time that I saw Mrs. Uh, Kathy Arvizu. I did not crush that workout because I had only been doing CrossFit for, I'd really only been working out for like two months. So I didn't, I was not athletic growing up. I didn't do workouts. I did the occasional Zumba class. So I just never really worked out. And when I got into it, I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I walked in. Again, I'd only been there like two months. I just started to feel comfortable, just started to feel comfortable going by myself instead of going with my best friend, Angie, who introduced me to it. We would go at the same time every day because I was scared to go by myself and walk in. And I showed up and I was running in because I was late and I like put my keys on the rack where we... Do you remember that? They used to have this wall with hooks and everybody would hang yeah. their car keys there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I, w- I went and did that. Don't steal these. But when I walked in, I saw you on the box. And I remember thinking like, oh, he's cute. I haven't seen. I've been here for like two months and I haven't seen this person because I kind of know everybody or I know who they are. And I just remember thinking like, oh, who's that? She knows the cute So then I, I needed to stretch. So I, I went next to him to stretch. <laughs> that wow. was on purpose. So he not like, Joey know. Still got it. <laughs> and then we would go to, like, to the same classes or off. Like you would go to the class before me and, and then I would go to the class after. And then I saw that you went to the one before. So I would show up early and then you show up late until we finally got on the same like wavelength of going to the same time y'all were stalking each other didn't yeah. You? Yeah. Yeah. and he would like help me put my weights away <laughs> after a class my friend oh. angie was like oh my god this guy it's a veteran gym move there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i was new so, to the gym world so, so i fell sorry. for all of it nice now i know better <laughs> just just like i wouldn't fall for the same moves these days no yeah. just kidding so that was it. Was at it? least she didn't yeah. throw up after the man maker workout when she first shows up. The this is true. I don't remember that. I must have super, super modified that. So, so y'all met and then she being career minded, mm-hmm. bigger picture thinker, sure. obviously pushing you to get into a career. Yeah. And because you were, you weren't getting strung along. It's just a process. Of yeah. a, mm-hmm. and, and it happens to a lot of folks uh, when they get in the military, active versus reserve. So how did Dallas get on the radar? So um, once we decided that law enforcement was going to be the route, uh, I started uh, researching into departments uh, in the Rio Grande Valley at the time. And then she came up to me and she was like, 
confession. And I was like, okay. Oh, and she was like, I'm leaving. And I was like, oh. And then she was like, I want you to come with me. And I was like, okay, good. And I was like, where are we going? And then she was just like, I don't know, anywhere but here. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I wanted it to be a big city police. And so I applied to Austin, mm-hmm. San Antonio, and Dallas. And not Houston, because we discovered that you had to live in Houston for three years before you could apply to be at the time an officer at the time. Yeah, it was like two or three years. And I was like, damn, because I bet they don't have that now. Oh, no. no. So it was San Antonio, Austin and Dallas. And we were kind of hoping for San Antonio because that's where your unit was. And you still had to go every month. It would have been easy. Yeah, it would have been like, hey, like. I'm doing police stuff, and then I got drill this weekend. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to drive across the street. And wasn't Gunny an uh, uh, officer? Or he, he's not Gunny. So anymore. he is now Sergeant Sorry, Major. Sergeant Major. John Herrera. John Herrera. Great guy. Um, Fourth Recon H&S, I believe. No, no. He's actually in the DFW area Well, but now. he's San Antonio uh, Police is what I'm saying. Yes, yeah. he's San so Antonio Police. Well. Like this guy, coolest dude. Mm-hmm. Coolest dude. If he yelled at you, which he never did, like go home and look yourself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. He was he was San Antonio police. He was uh, and he did his his drills. I believe at the time when I was applying to be um, uh, a police officer, like I think he was a Gunny Gunnery Sergeant Herrera, and then First Sergeant Herrera. I know that's why I called him Gunny Love. I know, I know. But anyways, but all I was saying was that we were hoping for San Antonio because you were your unit was there, and yep. at the time Gunny was there. But our rule was we're going to go with whoever calls first. Yeah. And it was Dallas. There's, Dallas hey, called. Every, every, I've had a lot of guests first. on here. Yeah. And going up, some people have been hired on in the 80s. Claggett, Lance Crawford. Mm. Dallas always seems to call, call first. first. <laughs> we're That's like begging we people to come here. Yeah. <laughs> we're hooking people yeah. in. Dallas came down to our hometown. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, you like, did the whole recruit. Yeah, I was fair. I was at work. I was yeah. doing my personal training thing, and then Kathy calls me, and she's like, "Hey, oh, yeah, Dallas is coming that. down to uh, Pan Am, the which University. is now University of Texas Rio Grande Valley." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Cool!" And she was like, "They're doing a recruiting fair," and I was like, "Sounds good." And so I went to it, and uh, and yeah. yeah, I I was such a loser. Like uh, I I had uh, like my athletic shorts on or whatever, but I also had like a Marine Corps olive green plain T shirt on to like you know strut my stuff. Oh my god! Yeah, I was a loser. It's so, like uh, what's it called? Uh, had you had a mister to wet it, or it clean to the. Hearing these stories, I'm like, what was that? Just yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like what She's were really you thinking? rethinking some things right now? <laughs> it's like too late. Mm, <laughs> so. But Dallas called on a on a Wednesday. Saying you've got to be up here on Friday for the academy. Wow, damn! And we were like, "What?" Um, well, yeah. How are we going to do that? And, and so um, we packed up my my pickup. Yeah. And as I'm, you know, safely speeding over here. Well, it's just kidding. Uh, Kathy was um, calling apartments, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember before that, uh, I told the recruiter because they were like, "We need you up here." we need uh what was it friday yeah we need you up here friday we need you up here friday for the psych eval and so i was like cool where am i gonna live and they were like oh yeah well there's really nice apartments near the academy yeah, camp, camp wisdom <laughs> and uh, yeah, redbird lane yeah it's, well we uh, did we didn't know any better no. so. Oh. <laughs> so and so yeah we were like okay cool and so got burglarized uh, every other day yeah <laughs> well we got lucky, we no, got lucky. no one Nobody messed with us poor carlos though i know so 
across the street was a different story. One of my best friends. But we were fine. In the whole wide world. Uh, he also got recruited uh, to come up to Dallas uh, with me. Same wow. class and everything. So, um, yeah. Like, I was in one apartment complex. He was in the other one across uh, Watership? Watership yeah, Lane? Maybe. Um, and, yeah, we were right there and everything. And, uh, and. And yeah, like I think he had an issue with the tailgate getting stolen or oh. something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> These so, days, be catalytic converters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that has it's like, happening. please take my tailgate. Don't take my catalytic yeah. converter. <laughs> Your car sounds like a chainsaw yeah. starting up without it. It's so uh, yeah, but that was quick, and it was the summer, and I was um, still a English teacher at the time, and so I don't have a job yet, and I'm not going to leave without having a job. So move Joey up here and. I didn't, that was, yeah, I think in like July, I didn't get any. So you stayed back? I had to stay back until I started the school year at the the school that I was at down there um, and would come up and interview and finally got something at the end of that year. Yeah, thanks to Carlos, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Got a job. Yeah, yeah. Like in January. So I drove up here on December and I remember the next day there was like a huge snowstorm and it was icy yes. and again coming from and the power went out yes and coming from south texas like i have no idea how in the world to live with ice or snow much less drive that spring was so cold and there was like five days of snow days i didn't know what that was like when well, schools closed and, and when you got there didn't we have the spartan oh race? my god joey signed us up for the spartan race the day after I drove up here, it's a nine-hour drive if you've ever driven from South Texas up to Dallas. In yeah. December? Nine hours. In December. No, no I thanks. drove up on a Friday. Glen Rose. Glen we Rose. had to, oh, we volunteered. In order to get the Spartan Race paid for for free, we had to volunteer. So we had to be at Glen Rose by 5 a.m., work it, and then actually run it. And it took like eight, yeah. eight hours. Yeah. It was awful. I don't recommend. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, you Still couldn't nervous. get me to do a Spartan race. I hate it. Was, it was it was rough because so we did him. Tough Mudder like a year or two before, and we were like, "Oh, yeah, this is fun. fine. Spartan race is gonna be fun." It wasn't fun. No. <laughs> what it, what it, what was this? I mean, I know they all kind of run it. What is a Spartan race? I feel like there's more running if you compare it to Tough Mudder. Tough Mudder I, has like more obstacles. Like they have oh, obstacles yeah. that are closer together in Tough Mudder in a Spartan race. It's like you're running three miles before you get to the, an, an obstacle and then another three miles in an obstacle. And it's like, so it's just a bunch of running, which I'm not a big fan of. And no, burpees. Because if you get penalized oh, yeah, you have in not completing one of the <clears throat> obstacles, you got to do 30 burpees right then and there. No. No. What's really impressive is you were doing all of this while going to the academy. That's right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. By the time right. by the time PT was over in the academy, yeah. I was like, You're like that's I, it. I'm done. I don't need to do any more exercise <laughs> yeah. except for my required exercise. Right. There you which go. I exactly. Did. So Kathy, so yes. you you had a feeling after watching that that that's not a good movie to be a mm. selling point to be mm. getting into law enforcement is in to watch. Great movie, but man, the ending. Was there any were you apprehensive about it at all with him going into that, especially a big city like Dallas? Because Dallas, Dallas had a we have a history, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's a lot of shit that happens in mm-hmm. these major cities. Dallas is a magnet. To be honest, at the time, right, we're talking like 10 years ago or okay. so. Yeah, about 10 years ago. I I didn't have any of those inclinations of what Dallas was like. or I mean, I'd only ever been up here as a kid randomly, not really even here. My aunt and cousins lived in Lancaster, so that's this Red Oak is where yeah, I come to. Yeah, it's a suburb. So I, I don't. I didn't know, 
maybe how dangerous it could be. I mean, I figured it would be, but I, I knew that he needed some type of a direction in his life and he wanted to give it all in the Marines and tried by going active and it didn't work out for him. But I knew he needed that type of unit and familial support that he was getting in the military and it, and he would love it when he would come back, he'd be feeling great and always talking about it. And so I knew we were, we needed to look for something like that. So I, I I wasn't thinking necessarily about the effects and of the actual day-to-day job after the Academy. I was just thinking more like, this is something he needs for himself, like as a man to, to be fulfilled and, to feel like he's doing something and he's got, you know him, right? He's got the heart of a servant, like mm-hmm. 1000%. I'm, um, I, I'm always just in awe of how good he is <laughs> because I'm not like, I'm the first to say I'm not like I have, you know, I'm judgments and I'm cranky and I have bad thoughts and I hold grudges, but he is not like that at all. He is literally the best person I've ever met. So good. So pure and just wants to help everybody he meets no matter if it's just an encouraging word or an act or whatever. And so that to me, I knew this was going to be perfect for him because he, he could serve. It wasn't until later that I learned just how dangerous this can be. And as I became more aware and educated on the political landscapes and how that changes from time to time, which it has, and it's been rougher. I mean, wasn't, it didn't feel like that 10 years ago, but maybe I wasn't, as aware or privy to it? No, he would have graduated the academy. He graduated briefly before Ferguson. So it there was a... Around Ferguson. Around. Trying, I think it was I think around it was Ferguson. a little after. Uh, a little before. What year did you graduate? 2014. 2013. Okay. 2013. 2013. 2013. 2013. 2013. Oh, no, you're right. April 2014. I'm an idiot. I was like, oh, <laughs> I challenge <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> it, it really was a shift, I think, in police, mm-hmm. in policing when Ferguson happened mm-hmm. and subsequent events since then. Right. So I, and even I don't remember right. there being so much right. negativity towards police and it being... Such a culture like that before. Well, and I know we can't discount the history, right? When they're flowing, absolutely. It's sick. A lot of it's cyclical, though. I mean, I, I, I'm the old guy here, so I started in '97, Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of support for police, especially in the city. Mm -hmm. And I saw changes go through, and there was in um, in 2000. There was a shooting that happened in, uh, in Cincinnati, and, and it was a questionable shooting. Mm. But then it was still not covered like it was starting to get to yeah. in uh, the 2010-ish to 2015. That right. style was going that direction. It was like a snowball. Wow. Uh, and it was gaining steam. And then, you know, then Ferguson hap- happened. And then after that, every incident across the country. And also, I, I really think, I, I guarantee you, the growth of social media. Right. Absolutely. That's, that contributed. Mm-hmm. That that right. helped roll that snowball. Right. And the ability to control oh, the narrative yeah. yep. in one way or another. Yeah, sure. and spin it and, and, and lean mm-hmm. any kind of opinion uh, however way you want it to right. look. So. Right, right, right. So, Joey, you went to Southeast yeah. off of training. Was that your first choice? No. What was your first <laughs> choice? So, um, man, uh, and Carlos and Kathy were giving me so much shit because 
uh, Carlos uh, won him and I uh, we, we were partners uh, DTPT partners situation simulation one partners badge number of parts, we so are one badge number part uh, <laughs> shout out Carlos Mendez <laughs> and so like uh, he his first choice was Northeast and I wanted to go where where I felt I could help out more and like you know I I speak Spanish and so I figured Southwest uh, had the highest uh, Spanish speaking population and so I put Southwest first uh, Northeast second and Southeast third I know I'm not proud you choose God's country I didn't and so uh, and it was funny because I'll never forget uh, the day where we were in class and they were announcing where we were going <laughs> it was it was pretty funny because uh uh, Carlos sat like a few rows behind me because he's Mendez and I'm Arvizu and so I'm an A, I'm in yeah. the front row. And so they were like, they were like, and they were going by badge number. And so they were like, Arvizu, Southeast. Uh, they were like, Mendez, because he's 10623, uh, Northeast. And I was like, all right, let's see what happens. And they were like, Arvizu. Southeast and Hiv and I both looked at each other. <laughs> tears of tears of sorrow. Yeah, and it was like and he looked at me and he was like kinda of like shaking his head a little bit and I was like, damn. Because did you we, have that do you have that same look you had on an academy greeting people that failed smile? Just, <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, yeah. all defeated. Yeah, 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 pretty much. And I felt <laughs> bad because Carlos. Yeah. yeah Bye, I, Carlos. And I felt Bye. bad because like, yeah, him and I, we were like, we're gonna be partners and everything. Yeah. And and so and so, yeah, it didn't pan out. It was meant to be. <laughs> well, I met you when you were at Southeast. And I will say that the one of the things that I take with me or think about when I think of you is how, what Kathy said, how kind you really are and how you always genuinely want to help people mm-hmm. at scenes and whatnot to where you're giving people your jumper cables from the car. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll then, never forget the look I, on your face. I was like so betrayed Wait, when you did that. I'm did like, you really? give it to Kristen or you no. gave it to? He gave it like to a, some random woman so, that was broken down. Oh my down. God. It was an older lady. It was an older lady. She, uh, she called 911 because her, her truck broke down or something. And so we get there and poor thing. Like she was practically homeless in the Aww. truck. And uh, and I was like, what's wrong with your truck? And she's like, it won't start. And I was like, I'm going to save the day. And so like I go to the trunk, pull out my cables and we start we jump yeah. started her truck and I, I was like, Where's home? And I think she said Oklahoma. Oh. Yeah, I think so. And I was like, Wait, you gotta get to Oklahoma from here? And she was like, Yeah. And I was like, You can have these cables. And, I, and I'll never forget Chris's look on her face. Cause she looked at me and she like mouthed, What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> we, we had to Are you not buy. allowed to give? You can okay. but I'm like Your what? own property. You know? Oh, our, okay. rec- our recollection of this store this lady is a little bit different <laughs> okay. but we wound up buying gas for her like we Aww. had to go to the gas station or whatnot but that really is joey it like, is. He is the nice one i know and i've had people be like is that real and i'm yes, yeah joey, is. that is really just joey he's that nice um and he would usually be the one that we would use to calm people down <laughs> so like if things were getting a little amped up which I tended to do a little bit more. Really? I, yeah. I, I, I know we're Don't call me honey. I'd be walking. <laughs> what, did you, what did you say to her? When she, she said like sweetie or something and you went, don't call me sweetie. <laughs> I hate that. 
Uh, hang on there, Toots. To yeah. yes. <laughs> all the time. They do it all the time to female cops. I'm like, don't call me. Honey. I hate that. So, but I walk over to Joey and I just walk away. I'd be like, Joey, deploy the dimples. Deploy, deploy him, huh? the dimples. They work. Calm this situation down. And he always would. Like, He's really good at that. De-escalating. Yeah. Get a... Do some blue teams for some dimples. <laughs> yeah, they need to add that category on the, on the blue team pull down. So you hired, you you graduated twenty fourteen, twenty fourteen, and you're out there working you, southeast. Yeah. And twenty sixteen happens, right? Yeah. And we kind of yeah. in July twenty sixteen, the shit came to our doorstep. Oh yeah. And so we're not going to get into too much of that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm eventually going to do an episode just on that the breakdown and um you know yeah danny i know you're going to be listening you're going to be really uh key in that but from a spouse standpoint Mm -hmm. kathy Mm -hmm. what was going through your mind whenever this happens and uh joey's on this department that was that was pretty scary we were sitting at home watching tv and my coworker messaged me and asked me how's joey and then somebody else messaged me, how's Joey? And like, what, what, what's going on? They said, turn on the news. And I did. And I saw it was happening. And that I think is probably one of the few times that I've had a little bit of a scare. I was like worried about everybody, not just him. And then when he, he got a call to go in, I started to get a little nervous then. But I will say that I, I've, I've learned, and I definitely feel like this right now, that I am not very worried about him with what he does because so we're believers right and I I I truly believe like he doesn't belong to me like he is God's son first before he's my husband and he God gave him this heart to her to serve and to do this job he's a thousand percent called to do this job and he does it so well and so who am I to to kind of be afraid or be nervous or worried of him being hurt or, you know, killed in the line of duty? I mean, of course, I don't want that. But I feel like if that, like, this is where God put him. So who am I to doubt or to worry or to be nervous? I need to let God allow the plan for his life to happen the way that he wants it to happen. Mm-hmm. And I so I go to bed at night by myself because he works night and I sleep very well when he's out there because I know that he's being taken care of not just by all the blue brothers and sisters because I absolutely know that I I sleep well because I know that God's got him this is where he wants him to be and so he's going to be taking care of him and using him the way he needs him to be used and I, I do truly believe you know it's almost 10 years in that He's he's making a name for himself and he's making changes and he's a wonderful officer that we need. Like our our society needs that. We need we need good people. We need like I love this is called bridging the divide because it's it's true. Right. Like with the way the political landscape is, it's it's important for civilians to understand what life is like in law enforcement as people and as family and what the job entails what it's really like and I think Joey does a really good job of demonstrating that in and outside of work of of what it really means to be an officer so that that was hard that night when you did called in I was get a little worried about that but um well like I mean piggybacking off of that uh um I'm okay at this job because 
I have such a great home life. You know, Kathy is so supportive. Like I, I, I was hearing stories about seven, seven, how some spouses like, were like, you're not leaving this house. And thank God Kathy didn't do that. Cause I would have been like, I'm sorry, I'm leaving, you know? And, but Kathy was such a saint. Like I'll never forget poor thing. Um, I'm like trying to put on my stuff, my uniform and everything as fast as I can. And, and Kathy was handing me my stuff and she was tearing up mm. and I looked at her and, and I already knew what the gist of it was of me going in on my day off. Like everybody was already downtown. The threat was downtown. I was going, unfortunately to Southeast to answer calls. And so I told Kathy, I'm a, I was like, babe, everything's gonna be okay. I'm not going downtown. I'm, I'm going to answer calls and everything's going to be okay. And she was just an absolute saint. And I'm very blessed and, and fortunate to have her uh, with how supportive she is. That's why I'm able to, you know, go to work and have like a very clear mindset on like a really good focus on what I need to do to get home because I am blessed with such a good home life. Mm-hmm which is vital to this career. And we, we agreed from the very beginning, um, like when you're at work, you need to be at work, you need to focus because you have to take care of yourself and take care of everybody else, make sure everybody gets home, right, safely, everybody. And so don't worry about me. Like don't, you don't need to call me, you don't need to update me. Like unless you're in the hospital and it's really bad. I don't need to know. Like, I don't need to know calls. I don't need to know stories. I find out stuff later and I'm like, oh my God, what? Yeah. That's when I panic when I'm like, oh my God, that happened. And I was just sitting at home eating my dinner. You know, but in the moment we have that understanding, that agreement with one another. Like, you don't need to, you don't need to call me and be like, we're out of chase. Go in. You're like, I don't, I don't need no. to know that. You know, I'll never forget when you woke me up pretty pissed and you're like, I d- okay. You yeah. got shot at? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that's fair. I was like, I was like, yeah, but he missed. <laughs> obviously i was gonna tell you the morning but yeah so we have that understanding like you don't you just focus on being safe and you focus on getting everybody else safe and i also know right you know joey he's not he's not the type that's gonna try to be the hero and go and save the day and make a name and barge in without cover like he doesn't do dumb no he doesn't do stupid things so he's gonna be and I think I've heard this from everybody else, right? He's very like by the book and like, wait a minute, guys. So I know that about him. So I feel he's fine. <laughs> I trust him. <laughs> I wish I would have got the by the book uh, <laughs> when I was out there. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> well, he loves his job so much. And so he never wants to like do anything to jeopardize it. <laughs> yeah. So I want to get into uh, an incident in April of 2018. Okay. Uh, April eighteenth, twenty eighteen. Uh, leading up to that, you were you were getting ready. You were training for an event. Mm-hmm. Okay. And can you tell the listener? Can you kind of talk about the buildup of uh, of what you were what you were training for and preparing for, and and then also just kind of paint the pic, paint a picture for the listener about the incident. Sure. Um, so the year before, uh, there was a guns and hoses tournament. So boxing tournament where it's, uh, firefighters versus, uh, police officers. And I remember thinking going to the event, ah, it's probably going to be in some warehouse. There's going to be like folding chairs and 
barely going to even be a ring. And when we got to the, I believe it was the Allen Convention Center, yep. I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah. You were real quick, 27. It was right after, that was a big, I was at that event as well. And it was right after everybody was still on an emotional right. high from, in, in, in lows in some ways mm-hmm. from, july 7th mm-hmm. and it was really moving that year that next year after yeah and it was it was an amazing event yeah. I, I remember i went there there was lights it was a it was a stadium kind of like uh there was a beautiful ring it's a big like, deal yeah people like oh man what what killed me was fighters were coming out to fight songs and i was like dude like because i got some fight songs mm-hmm. and so like uh I remember um, thinking, like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this next year. And unfortunately, even though we tried our best, I believe the police officers lost. Uh, we had some wins, but the firefighters kind of got us that, that year. And so I was like, that's not going to be me. Like, I am gonna, I'm going to put a wrecking on this poor firefighter. And so at the time, I was, I was actually at Krav Maga DFW, shout out, and um, – I was training there. I was all sparring there, um, and I was I was laying it down. I was doing okay. You know, I wasn't the best. I wasn't the worst. I was I was I was doing decent. I was decent. I was I was giving it uh, more than I was getting it. And so, but I knew that I had to focus primarily on boxing. Like I I couldn't worry about kicks or anything like that. And so, uh, ended up uh, hearing about this uh, boxing gym in Mesquite. And, and I was just like, okay, cool. You know, let's, let's check it out. And so I go there and it was like the scene from a Hollywood movie, you know, where the protagonist comes in there and like, I just like walk in and it's like a hole in the wall, kind of like, kind of like old school boxing gym. Like a Rocky movie. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. One ring in the middle. And yeah. Mick is in the corner. Mickey. On the sweatpants. <laughs> you gotta get angry. There's a hazy smoking in the background. Yeah. It. <laughs> it's smoking in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's fighters like sparring. Like, there's a coach doing uh, mitts and everything. Guys hitting the bags. And I was like, oh yeah. And like, and everyone looked just like sharks. And I was just like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then I was like, where's the coach at? And then so, like, I see this coach. Dude was, like, scary-looking Hispanic guy and everything, and he just looked at me from across the gym, just stared at me, and I was like, okay. It was like that Marine. That was, was an eye contact. It was like the Marine, the Marine <laughs> looking across. <laughs> Kathy, why didn't you get an eye contact moment? Oh, I didn't get an eye contact moment at all. We didn't even know what to say to me. Just kidding. I'm trying not to look at him in the eye now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's it's gonna I get drawn in. And so, and so he looks at me, and he didn't have a smile on his face or anything like that. He just looked at me, and then he just had this intense stare, and then he just started nodding his head. The good mm. old head, uh, nodding of the head. Mm. And, and, I was like, nod. and I was like, that's it. I'm sold, just like the Marine Corps. And so, like, uh, <laughs> and so I went there. I started I started uh, boxing and everything, but early on, and, like, this is no fault to him. I... I, even though I'm a really nice guy, very patient, all I get is I like, if I have something set, like I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And so I was bugging him a lot. Like, please let me spar. Please let me spar. I'm not a day one boxer, you know, for the most part. And so I believe like six months out uh, from the tournament, I was sparring uh, twice a week 
And and these kids, man, they these guys were trying to make names for themselves in the boxing world. And so, man, I remember there's one kid. He like he was about my height, maybe an inch taller, but leaner. And me and him would go to war. And I remember he would whoop my ass. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm getting my butt kicked. But there was this one time where I was just like, man, I'm getting my butt kicked. And I looked at his face, and his nose was just gushing of blood. And I was like, okay, I feel better now. <laughs> and so like. Uh, so the day started off like any other day. Um, I got there to the gym. I called Kathy and I was like, "Hey, babe, I'm 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 getting here. Uh, as soon as I'm out, uh, I'm gonna head home, shower up, and head to work." And so, um, uh, I went up against a random dude, and he wasn't he wasn't bigger than me or anything like that. He wasn't swinging for the fences trying to rip my head off. He just he just had my number when it came to jabbing me in the face, and real cool dude, like there was no issues. Um, and he was just and it wasn't like he was just nailing me in the face. It was just pop 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 and like and he just had my number. And so we kept on going in that round. I'm I'm giving it everything I could, and but I started noticing that I was getting dizzy. And so I was like, well, yeah, you're getting dizzy because he's got your number. And so just keep on going. And so I'm going. I'm still feeling dizzy. I'm going. The bell finally rings like a century later because uh, he was beating me that bad and uh, in points. And so I go once the, the round was over, I go off to the side and I'm still so dizzy that I had to close my eyes and I put my glove up against the wall and I just stood there for a second and then I hear my coach and he was just like, Joey, are you okay? And I looked at him and I just, and I was like blinking my eyes and I was like, I feel really dizzy. And then blackout, Hmm. like I don't remember anything after that. And I'll never forget uh, the next thing I remember from that after, hey, I feel really dizzy. Um, I open my eyes and it's like looking at this ceiling right here, which is similar to a hospital ceiling. And I was just like, what the hell? And like, where's the boxing ring? And so I sit up and Kathy's on my left. I'm in a, I'm in a hospital gown. I'm on the bed and I look at her and she looks at me like, like, you know, like, Hey, how's it going? And I just look at her and I go, what the hell happened? And she said very calmly, because apparently she had done this a bunch of times, but she said, you're at a hospital, you're at Baylor, um, you had a boxing accident, you had a traumatic brain, brain injury, it's been a couple of days, that's what I remember. And I remember going, what? And I guess apparently due to what happened, I was having short-term memory loss, mm-hmm. like instant short-term memory loss. So she had that script nailed down, uh, because I had done it so many times. Mm-hmm. So, Kathy, so he, how many times did you have to go through that script? And when he would wake up, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's lost, he, he talks about yeah, he talks about blacking out. There's there's moments where I I feel like I blacked out. Also, I got into this I don't know alternate persona where I had to be there and and strong and handle everything it was so much to handle um that I don't remember like I have I have these moments where 
look trying I'm try I tried to remember day one day two day three and I just remember little snippets I don't I don't remember and like I don't I don't remember the script but I know when you just said right now you woke up and you asked I knew okay that that couldn't have been the first couple of days because you had you had a tube in and you you couldn't speak until a couple of days so I knew that was several days in so quite a bit I mean I remember the short term having to explain things to him over and over and over again so I'm gonna go back to day yeah. one mm-hmm. whenever this happened can you kind of walk walk me through whenever you got notified mm-hmm. about what was going on and then just kind of pick it up from yeah, there? Yeah, so I, I was at work, and I was working at Coppell at the time, at Coppell High School, and he called me right before noon because his class started at noon and called me, hey, I'm going into the gym. Okay, love you. Have a good workout. Bye. So I'm working away, and he, I get a call not even half an hour later. So it's not even 1230. And I look at my phone and it says his name and face. And I'm like, that's weird. He's in the middle of class, like another hour. Why would he be calling? So I answered and it's like that your worst case scenario as a spouse when it's your spouse's name on the phone, but it's not their voice. That was exactly what happened. It was somebody else. It was, it was Scylla, another officer. So a female like, Hey, Kathy, I'm like, yeah. And she says, hey, um, Joey's having a reaction at at the gym. We're, we're going to, is he on any medication? And I remember walking back to my office and like, no, he's not. Well, maybe, maybe he'll leave. He's been having back pain, but no, nothing prescribed. And she's like, okay, well, yeah, he's, we think he's having a reaction. He says he's feeling dizzy. So we're going to take him to the ER here in Mes- was Mesquite. Mm-hmm. Um can you meet us there? I'm like, okay, sure. Send me the, send me the location, the directions. So I tell my coworker, like something's happening with Joey. He's having a bad reaction. I got to go. I need to go now. I need to go now. So I'm driving away and I'm just kind of thinking like, what could it be? But I'm also trying not to think about it because I'm so far away. I knew it was going to take me 45, 50 minutes more with lunchtime. So I thought, just focus on getting there safely. It's not going to help if you're speeding or you get in an accident. Just get there. Then I get a call from her again saying, oh, we're actually going to take him to Baylor. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like trying to drive and navigate my Google Maps to switch routes. So I, I get down to the Baylor area. I've never been to the Baylor area. Um, she's on the phone with me telling me where to park. I park in the garage. She tells me to, I'm walking where she tells me to, I go into one building. I don't know what building it is. I have to ask somebody like, I'm looking for this building. I don't remember the name of it. Now I'm walking to it. And she Scylla is outside with a nurse of this building. And I wave at her, hang up and I go over there. I'm like, what's going on? And, and the nurse is like, Oh, hi, are you Kathy RVs? You come on in. So I walk into this building y'all. It was like, well, you know, because you've been into like trauma ICUs. I've this is like it was something I've never seen in real life. It was like what you see in movies and shows, but it was like cement, like not a nice hospital floor. It was like just cement floor and these like curtains. Like not rooms, not hospital rooms with the clear like glass doors. It was literally just like one big bay and these like curtains and I remember looking over to my right and seeing this man on a bed and he just had like blood everywhere and he had like tubes and people around him. And I'm like, Oh my God, like Mm. this part, that's just like right there. Why is there a curtain open? And then the nurse leads me into 
an area um, where she says, okay, wait here. We're going to wheel him in in a bit. Okay, so I'm kind of like sitting there. And at that time, Scylla's like, I got to go to work. I have to leave. But she fills me in and tells me he was boxing. Joey was boxing. He got hit on the right side of his head a couple times. And then he felt dizzy. So we brought him in here to see what was going on. Then I they wheeled Joey in, right? And he is, is so strange. He is lying on this gurney, right? This bed with all these tubes sticking out of him. And he, his eyes are closed and his chest is moving up and down because I guess they're forcing him to breathe. But he, even though his eyes were closed, he didn't look like he was there. Like it was very, it felt like a sci-fi movie. It was so weird. It was like, there's nobody in there, but his body is moving up and down. And I, so I stand by his bed and I'm holding his hand and he doesn't, his body temperature doesn't even, it doesn't even feel like him, like a human. It feels like clammy and well, and, and I don't know if it was a nurse or a PA, somebody came up to me and said, um, do you know what, what's happened to your husband? And I told her, all I know is that he was boxing and he got hit on the side of the head and he started to feel dizzy. And she said, okay, your husband is really, really sick. I'm going to let my boss come in here and talk to you and walks away. And I'm like, okay, wh- what do I do? And there's medical staff around his bed and there's he's hooked up to all these monitors and there's all these beep beeps going on and everybody's staring at the screens really intently and I don't understand what the screens are showing but they're all watching it and watching him nobody's talking to me nobody's looking at me I don't know what's going on I don't know how to act I don't know if I should grab my phone and call somebody or not like I don't know what to do and then finally um a doctor comes in and he must have been the trauma doctor on call. And he said, oh, so your husband, uh, yeah, your husband's very sick. He got hit really hard in the head. He's having a brain bleed, which the way he explained it to me, it was like, there's blood is pulling up between his skull and his brain and it's causing pressure that his brain is actually shifting and moving. And if we don't go in there, and I don't know if he said drill a hole or if he told me about the, the skull removal. If we don't go in there and remove, no, he might've said that we need to go in and remove his skull and release the blood. Otherwise it's going to keep pushing his brain and he's going to die on the table. What do you want to do? Like, that's literally what he said. Mm-hmm. If we don't go in and cut, he's going to die on the table right now. What do you want to do? And I'm like, do, do keep it. Him alive. Right. Do it. <laughs> do the surgery. Why are we talking? Do it already. Yeah. Go. Like, do it and for he's 500. Like, <laughs> okay. And I mean, I get it, right? Like my younger sister is a surgeon. And so I understand the way that they think. But in the moment, I'm like, why are we talking? Yeah. So he does it. And again, I'm just kind of standing there. And I don't know what to do. And this woman comes by. And she was so sweet, this nurse. It's like, you could you could talk to him. He can hear you. And I, I do remember... Um, leaning down to his ear level his right ear and telling him like I love you you're gonna be okay um I just need you to fight you're so strong I know I like you're everything's gonna be fine and I love you and things like that and I remember seeing a tear come out of his eye 
and it was so weird because it's like it's still yeah it still felt like you it still felt like you weren't there like you weren't a person but I remember seeing that little tear and then that's when I was like okay I need to call people and so I called Mandez Carlos first and I was like you need to come to Baylor now and I could barely speak and then I called my brother-in-law Trevor to tell my sister um and to tell the family like call my brother-in-law I was like this is Joey's something he's in the hospital it's really bad can you tell the family and he was like got it no problem and hung up so those are the two phone calls I make and uh so the team comes in and they're like okay we're gonna take him we're gonna prep him for OR so they start wheeling him out and I'm walking with him and that nurse was amazing she um was walking with me holding me and I remember that the staff stopped halfway between the room and the OR where they take them back and she looked at me and said okay you need to say goodbye to him because he's gonna go into into surgery and we don't we don't know what's going to happen. So you need to say goodbye. Like take your time to say goodbye. And I'm like, how do you say, how do you do that? Like, I don't, we were only, we'd only been married three years, not almost three years. Yeah. 2015. Yeah. We we were going on three years. That August would have been, it was three years. So I'm like, we're not even three years in this marriage. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, how am I, what am I supposed to say? How do I, and I, I mean, I remember kind of doing the same thing of like, I love you. You got this. I'll be praying for you. And you took him off. And then I just remember kind of collapsing against a wall until, um, the nurse picked me up and found a chaplain to come over and her and the chaplain walked me over to a private room to wait. Yeah. And, and then that's when, um, Carlos showed up. He was the first one to show up, give me a big hug. And then Kristen showed up. <laughs> and I remember just handing my phone over to Kristen and be like, I don't, I can't, I don't know what to do. I, that's what I remember. I remember just kind of passing off like a, I don't, you, you got to tell us, oh my God, we have to tell his mom and mm-hmm. all these people. And then I remember, I think I went into shock because I remember shivering and shaking a lot. Yeah. You had a hard time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I had found out because the person that had left had called in to work for Joey, and they just said, Joey's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so the sergeant said, does anybody know why Joey's in the hospital? And we said, no, and we're friends. So I start, like, texting anybody, anybody know? No. And I didn't want to bother him or you because if it was, like, a broken arm or one, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm just going to text them, and if they're busy, I'm going to yeah. – not a big deal. So I texted, I don't know if I texted Joey or Kathy and um, I'm like, Hey, I just want to make sure everything's okay. If you need anything, let me know. And you called me. Oh really? Yeah. You called me sobbing. I don't remember that at all. (laughs) And you were sobbing and I immediately knew something was wrong. And you said, Joey's in the hospital. He's got a brain bleed. He's having surgery. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, where are you? You said Baylor. And I said, I'm going to call you right back. And I go in the back where the sergeants sit. And um, there were several sergeants because they come in Mm -hmm. early or whatnot. And I said, Joey's in Baylor and he's having brain surgery and I have to go. (laughs) Like I'm leaving. (laughs) Right. So, and I don't know at this point, I'm like, I put me on a sick day, whatever. Like I'm leaving. And I get in a car, Nasworthy, the general, gets in the car with me and comes. And we found you in the hospital. And I think that you were... 
you're as an officer's wife, you're ready for something to happen on duty. But I think that you never really expect mm-hmm. something to happen off duty. Yeah. Like you, mm-hmm. that's just it's not something you were prepared for. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting there, and your your other friend Priscilla was there. Mm-hmm. That's right. And Carlos was there. Yeah. And you just you're like, I don't know what questions to ask. I don't know right. what to do. I don't right. know what we're going to You were like, I can't do this. Here's your, here's my phone. Yeah. I'm like, it's fine. We're going to, we'll ask right. the questions for yeah. you. Like what, whatever he says, we are here right. for you. Right. Um, and he came in after the surgery and tells you. Right. So I remember Carla's coming in and out of the room because I found this out after the second surgery. Cause so the Joey was in what's called a craniotomy. So they actually went in and they removed a big chunk of his skull on the right-hand side. So he's got that horseshoe scar. Have you ever seen him? They were completely removed the skull um, and relieved the pressure and drained the blood. And then they even put in a brain drain um, and then they put the skin flap over and they sewed it up. So it was like, a, I think, a four ish hour surgery so I remember that there's a like a display panel and it'll tell you when they're prepping the OR when somebody goes in when they're in surgery when they're closing you know there's all these like stages that you can follow as a family member I wasn't privy to that because I was in a private room and obviously under distress but Carlos was the one checking so he'd come in and say okay the surgery's done so at least the surgery's done. They, they're now they're maybe they're cleaning them up. So he would kind of report to us, mm-hmm. and then finally the neurosurgeon came in and kind of sat down pretty casually. It was like okay, his bedside manner. <laughs> this was wasn't not that great. Was it, it is the same. Yes. I think fantastic, wonderful, genius. But bedside manner <laughs> not yeah. as great. Again, yeah. I get it. But he came in and pretty much explained he had to remove that he had to remove the skull, put the skull in a refrigerator, and he's going to have to let the pressure, the, his brain shifted 15 millimeters, and he was five to seven minutes away from it hitting his brain stem. And if it would have hit the brain stem, that's it. So we caught it in time. And I remember he must have told me this, but he's told it to me later, the surgeon with subsequent appointments that we had follow-up appointments about how he, the neurosurgeon, how he got his call. So his side of the story. Yeah. He told us his side of the story where he was in medical city and he got a call from Baylor with Joey's stats. And he asked to see, to know what his eyes looked like and that he had like his pupils were like super dilated and enlarged. So he told them, put him on this medicine. I'm in the car right now. And the neurosurgeon knew I've got X amount of minutes to get there. Or if I can't go in and remove the skull and relieve it, like that's it. And so he was talking about how he drove in and was like on a window of time and just quickly was like on the phone with the staff, like, get this ready, get this ready. Like by the time I go in there, you need to have all this done because I have to, I have to like, get that saw I've got to go in there like at this mm-hmm. time at this minute I need to be there so I have everything done by this minute so he did that basically that surgeon did that diagnostic over the phone basically yes. just do it <laughs> yeah. no really he did. He, but, he it was, did. but it's they that am- good the wow. ambulance's decision to turn around and go to Baylor oh my god amazing it really did if he it had gone really to did the other hospital and nothing yeah. Not trying to crap on the other hospital, but if he had gone no. to the other hospital, he would have died. They would not yeah. have due to the before. ETA to arrive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. So yeah, really. So when the neuro- neurosurgeon came into the room to tell me surgery is over, 
His brain shifted 15 millimeters, five to seven minutes away from his brainy stem. If it didn't hit the brain stem. So he's like, so he's alive. He survived the surgery. And he told me it's just a matter of now waiting when he wakes up. We don't know what it's going to, we don't know anything until he wakes up. He said he could, there could be paralysis. It could be short term. It could be long term. It could be partial. It could be full. We don't know if his speech is it. Like we have no idea with that amount of shift, what the effects are going to be. So we just have to wait. TBIs are, I mean, it, there is no playbook Mm-mm. and there's They're no timetable for and it's the a, recovery. It's yeah. a waiting game. And he left the room and I followed him out. And by the way, by the time we left the room after that, the hallway was Oh my was God, I still, that moment was, cops. it is such an amazing, like I wish somebody would have taken a photo of it mm-hmm. because it is the most beautiful memory I will like, I will always share. Describe this. that memory. As soon as I walked, so when they told us he's out of surgery, we can, we're going to move him up to ICU you can follow us. So I get up and I think Ramlo was there. You were there. Somebody was holding me because I could barely walk. And I walked out of this private room and I looked to my left and my right. And no joke, it's just a sea of blue of officers just to my right and to my left along the front wall and along the side, like my the wall I'm at. Like on both sides, there was just officers. All I saw were uniforms. And I looked and I was like, and I remember even seeing one of our friends, Sean McMahon, who's an officer for Fort Worth, was there in his uniform. Yeah. And I'm like, like, and I don't even remember how he found out, but just like the fact that like he drove here and like looking and seeing everybody else was like, oh my God, everybody's here. And I remember kind of being almost carried to the floor and everywhere I went, it was just officers supporting me they were everywhere and even looking out the window at one point seeing like the cars and just that was that was wonderful Um, thanks guys because i don't uh, we don't have family in the area like my family's not in the area the closest is houston so that felt like i'm not alone because i felt so i felt so alone when i first got to the trauma icu that was such a terrible feeling where I just didn't know what to do. I didn't even know if I should sit down or not. Like I was, I just, again, I felt so alone. And so that as soon as I walked out that door and I saw everybody, I knew that I wasn't alone. And it was so incredible. I'll never, ever forget that. It was amazing. Yeah. I had no idea even that they had all showed up. And so I walked out and I asked the surgeon, I'm like, what are we really looking at here? Like, tell me. Is he waking up? What are we looking at? And he was like, if he doesn't wake up in the next 48 hours, it's not good. Wow. Um, which is why I asked him outside the room. I didn't ask him inside the room. <laughs> good job, Chris. But I, yeah, <laughs> I was like, but you need to tell me, like, don't say yeah. it to her, but you need to tell me right now, what are we looking at? And he's like, you know, we, I have no idea. He's like, he may wake up, he may not. And he's like, but if he hasn't woken up in the next 48 hours, yeah. um, and all these cops are around listening to this. So, damn. And then all these cops that are lining this hallway went on upstairs with Joey and took over that entire floor and they were not prepared for the number of us that were there. And we're like slowly inching to Joey's room, (laughs) like just waiting for him to wake up. That's all we're doing is praying that Joey's going to wake up. I remember being on that floor and I guess we got there before him because I remember being in another semi waiting room area and somebody brought pizza 
Yes. Because I, somebody asked me, have you ate? And I'm like, well, I don't, why would, and I remember somebody brought pizza and everybody was like, have something to eat. And all I could think was, how can I eat when my husband is like, like I don't even know if he's going to wake up. Like how I couldn't, I felt it was so selfish for me to eat or even go to the bathroom. And I remember I needed to go to the bathroom, but I was like, I was afraid to do anything for myself because I was so concerned about him. And, and I remember uh, a couple of the other uh, police wives went to Target and they bought me changes of clothes because I was like, I don't want to be in this anymore. Like, this is like, I felt really like, uh. so they bought me clothes and I remember walking to the bathroom and changing. And when I walked out, I saw a man coming out of the elevator or nurses coming out of the elevator and they were pushing a man on a hospital bed and he was just I, I looked away because I'm like, oh my God, because this is the ICU. And I, if you know me, I cannot, there's a reason why I couldn't go to the medical field. Like I cannot, you can't even tell me stories about when you get like <laughs> cuts and bruises. Cause I feel like it's happening to me. Like I can feel the pain. So when I saw this man on the bed, I was like, oh my God, oh no, he looks so sick. Like, oh my God, oh my God. And then I like looked at him again because I noticed his, um, I noticed something that I was like, Oh my God, that's my husband. It was Joey and I did not recognize him because he was like, he was, he was disfigured, right? He was so disfigured. It did not look like him. But then the moment I knew it was him and I got over that like initial shock, I don't have memory of that any that disfigurement anymore it isn't until I go back and I look at photos and I'm like oh my god he looked like that I don't remember him looking like that because it's like it something happened in my brain where I just like switched into okay this is him and I need he's mine and I need to take care of him and so they wheeled him into an ICU room and I went in with him and I remember the nurse telling me you can sit with him and you can talk to him we're gonna be checking on him and they were doing this thing where they would kind of force him to wake up or they would they would take him off of medication to wake him up Mm -hmm. because they wanted to check his vitals they were Um, trying to wake him up yeah they were trying to wake him up and I don't know how long that was but it was overnight and it was awful I hated that that whole first night I I spent the night in the ICU with my friend Priscilla and I remember them coming in and taking him off of the medicine to try to wake him up and he was just like his body would shake and you would hear the heart rate monitor just going like beep, 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 like really loud. Like he was like in stress. And so then they were like, okay, put him back on, put him back on. And so that was really stressful that first night. I mean, there was like no sleep because I was worried that something was happening to him. And it wasn't until maybe late the next day, day, late day two, maybe day three. I don't know. A a nurse came in and was like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let him wake up on his own. I'm just going to slowly wean him off. I don't remember exactly what he did, but he did something with the medicine where he, Joey kind of woke up on his own. And and I remember him opening his eyes and we were being like, oh my God, his eyes are open. And he kind of like looked and then closed his eyes and went back to sleep. And we just kind of let him like, let's just wait for him. Let's not... Let's not knock him out with medicine and not, let's not force his body to come up. Let's just wait for it to naturally happen. So once he started waking up and obviously the diagnosis changed because mm-hmm. he wasn't sure the uncertainty whenever he first talked to Kristen in the hallway. Mm-hmm. So when he started waking up, then the doctor had a different idea of what he was working with. And then what kind of diagnosis was then 
given. Yeah. So when he first woke up, it was here's a funny story. Chuck loves the story. They had wrapped his hands like in big mittens, like what baby newborn babies so have. So he couldn't touch. It. Yeah, because yeah. he had a what is it called? He was like intubated. Is yes, that correct. Yeah, he was intubated, and he woke he woke up and he looked at me, and he was like he looked at his hands and he goes. Oh! He holds his hand up in front of his face and he's holding his hands like looking at me, asking me, what happened to my hands? Like he thought they like cut off his hands or something. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. Because every time they would try to force him to wake up, he automatically would go yeah. straight to Reflexive, the tube and yeah. he would want to take it out. And I'm like, you're fine. Your hands are fine. You just have a tube. You're okay. Everything's okay. You're in the hospital, but you're okay. And he, his eyes, he would look at me so scared. And that was part of the beginning, you know, when Joey was talking about when he woke up and apparently I had a script for him because it started with that, with him waking up so scared and in a panic and intubated and then finally um they came in and did a analysis on his lungs and they said wow does he work out because his lung capacity is so strong he doesn't need to be intubated anymore and i'm like oh well yeah he does and so they took the tubes out of him the very first thing joey said was oh that was terrible <laughs> <laughs> like when they took the tubes out but he was he had partial paralysis on the right side so the right face side of his face was droopy and he couldn't move his his right arm and leg up when they wanted him to and so there was a, the, we, the doctors worried that maybe there was going to be some paralysis for a while there but then as the days progressed a day or two later where he got more feelings and he could push on his on a person's hand with his foot and his hand and pick it up better not as strong but somewhat then they knew he was stable and they removed the brain drain which was really gross Ugh. but they removed that part because they thought it had already filtered enough um and then it was just a matter of getting him to like get up and walk because they didn't know if he could if he could if he could or not right yeah what kind of time frame here from when you the incident to they're taking all this out like how how long is this? I don't know. I, I, I honestly to, don't I, remember. I used to know it. Yeah, I honestly I know don't. he was without the school for maybe like 12, 13 days. Damn. Yeah, because I remember we were there when he... I kept calling it a skull flap flap for some yeah. reason when he got his skull flap on. So they, they took... They removed they removed the, the tubes like on day three, I think. Mm. And then... They didn't want him, they would have him do exercises with his arms and his legs in bed before they could fit him for a helmet, before they could even let him off the bed. And he hated the he helmet. He hated the helmet. He, okay. So we talked about earlier how Joey's the nicest guy you've ever met. So sweet. So kind and caring. <laughs> Not when he was in the hospital. He was a cranky old man. He was so cranky. In my defense, <laughs> my frontal lobes were yeah. working. That's true. His frontal lobes were working. He was so like, no. Joe, you want to do this? No. Leave me alone. No. So, no. 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 It was actually really interesting. And I want to get back to, at mm. some point, back to Kathy's yeah. experience. But Joey, it was really interesting because, you know, we've talked a lot while we've been in here about how happy you are and how optimistic you are and how kind you are. And you're always still a kind guy, by the way. Thank but you. it was, it was, and it was hard for Kathy, I know, because I saw her struggle with this there was kind of a personality change mm -hmm. when you were in the hospital dealing with that can you can you talk about that a little I bit i think uh, as basic as it sounds i think and as dark as it's gonna sound i think i was upset 
that something of this magnitude happened due to a recreational activity. I think I would have been a little bit more at peace with it if it was like, bro, you got shot in the head. And it would have been like, oh, okay. Like, like did I did I do okay at work or whatever before I got shot in the head? Like, was I cool? Like, like did I handle it like a champ? You know, and I think that's what was so upsetting was that all this happened because because I got my butt kicked in a sparring match, you know, in a practice recreational sparring match, you know, and also my frontal lobes weren't working, to be clear. And so I think that's those two, those two factors were the reason behind uh, grumpy, grumpy Joey. You were very grumpy. And so the, uh, I think it was an occupational therapist, a physical (laughs) therapist. I don't know. They came in and they fitted him for a helmet um and like a walking belt he had to wear a belt it looked like mm-hmm. a lifter's Dude. belt but it had like a, a loot uh, like a strap on the back so that somebody could walk with you and hold and he hated it and i think it's because he felt like a child yeah. like he could ever so we always had to be watching him. where are you going what yeah. are you doing and he had to wear those hospital grippy socks and he didn't like it you know even going to the restroom like somebody always being there and you just kind of wanted to be over it and done but your body was again had a severe trauma and there was this uh there's this one morning where i woke up like super early and i couldn't go back to sleep and like i kind of like looked around and everybody's asleep and i was just like i'm gonna go take a shower and so uh i don't know how i did it but i think i turned off because man my bed well, that, that's way later baby because that's when you got the skull put back in and you were allowed oh, to was get it? up okay without well a helmet. you know um, i'm going off what i remember and so like uh and so like i was like i need to take a shower and so i'm tired of like baby wipe stuff or whatever and so i somehow figured out how to turn off the alarm to my bed because i had a oh yeah i, I forgot about like, that there was this alarm that when i would get up and it would just be like rant, 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 yeah. and everything. And and the poor officers, whoever had to stay that night, and and um, a good buddy of mine, uh, Jeff DeBevic, he stayed. He stayed a bunch of times. And I'll never forget. Like there was this one time where the alarm went off, and he like practically like busts the door open and everything. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like just like a grumpy old I'm man trying to escape. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> leave me alone. I'm trying to escape. <laughs> Like, hold Kathy down. And so, like, uh, uh, I remember I I somehow turned the alarm off, and I was just like, okay. And so, like, I'm, like, hobbling to the to the uh, restroom, and uh, I think Carlos, like, woke up, and he was, like, and he was, like, whispering to me. He's like, Joey, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, shh, be quiet. And, like, Kathy's, like, asleep on the side. And then, like, I'm like, I'm going to take a shower. And he's like, Joey, no, please. And then all of a sudden, as I enter the restroom, I start slipping. And Carlos, like Superman, just like runs in and just bear hugs me. <laughs> and, and then like I start giggling and he starts giggling a little bit. And then he's just like, do not tell Kathy this happened. And so I was like, you got it. And so like, I was like, please let me take a shower by myself. And he was just like, okay. And so like he went, he waited at the, at the door of the, of the, uh, of the bathroom and so I got the the hose, uh, and I just started like washing myself and everything. And I was just like, "Yeah, I'm a man, you know. <laughs> Don't tell me I can't do it." And so like I I I finish up and everything, and I'm like, "Cool." And I go back to my bed, I fall back asleep. Uh, Kathy wakes me up later, 
And she's just like, hey, we, we need to take a shower. And I was like, I already did. <laughs> and she was so upset. Like, she even, like, smelled, like, came up to me and smelled me and everything. She's like, oh, my God, you did. I couldn't be sure that he knew, like, what he was saying. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he was in reality, like, if he was experiencing what he was really experiencing reality or is confused. But you mentioned something that was pretty amazing. So when Joey was first admitted to ICU and I said that all the officers were there, what was so great is there was officers stationed outside of our door outside of the hospital room, 24 hours. It was amazing because those first couple of days, you know, my, um, my, my sister and brother-in-law ended up driving in from Houston like that night and we were able to get through the ATO, I think, or DPA. Yeah, Joey's, Joey's mom. Yeah, she was going to take a bus. Right. And uh, myself and Laura Heim, shout yeah. out Laura, were like, no, no. she can't take a bus. Because it was going to be like 36 right. hours before she got there. And Joey was like yeah. just out of surgery. And we're like, there's no way. So Laura contacted someone at the ATO. And was like, hey, is there any way we can yeah. get them here or get her here? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. And Laura was able to, the ATO paid for a flight for yeah. Joey's mom and then Joey's brother right. to come in right. from what, California, yeah. right? Yeah, Jesse was in San Diego. California. Yeah. He was in San Diego. So that was amazing. Just as soon as like my family arrived and my mother-in-law and brother-in-law arrived too, it felt great. But just having like the like an officer presence there with us all day was amazing. We would get in trouble a lot because he had so many visitors. So many people were coming. Thanks guys. And (laughs) yeah, it was really amazing to see just how much of like an impact he has on all the people that he's met. I met so many people that I've only heard about and just hear the stories about him from other people, from other coworkers and officers about their experiences working with him or getting to know him um, was was pretty cool, and they obviously moved him out of trauma ICU into a regular ICU floor, and they even moved us up to a suite because oh, we had so, so many, many visitors. So great, they gave us it was like a double room, um, and that that was where you had an incident where you weren't taking a shower. That was later that you were going to the restroom and you slipped, and Carlos. Oh, got you. okay, I You're get okay. the stories mixed up. It's okay, <laughs> but yeah, so he was like 12, 12 days without school, but he had to walk around every day with the helmet on. He hated oh. the helmet, but it was important that to do that. And then he went in for a cranioplasty, so the skull was put back on and for another, I think that one was like a 14-day recovery period, a lot of stitches and staples. And then he was able to, he was discharged from the ICU and moved into inpatient. Yeah, because we went like across yeah. the street, but like yeah. through the tunnels. It that was, was quite weird. a it was quite a trip from. Oh my one god, to it felt like other. Resident Evil. <laughs> it's a really yeah, long I trip. Underground, that. like a basement. I was like, I remember I was just yeah. like looking up at like flickering lights, yeah. and I was like, "Are we underground?" So you we know? went to inpatient, and he started occupational therapy, yeah. speech therapy, and physical therapy every day, and that was that was rough. That floor was so hard because there was other patients in our same area, and. And they had obviously very severe injuries as well. And you could hear screaming and crying. It just, oof, it was, it was it's rough. a depressing thing. It, it, that just, inpatient yeah. facility was very depressing. It's it was, sad. it was really hard. And he still had to get up and take walks. Um, and 
yeah. And that's how much of that, came. Joey? Do you remember? I mean, like when you once you got to that point and started the recovery, bits and pieces. Uh, I do remember the 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 transfer underground. Uh, I remember just like looking at Kathy, and I'm like, "Where are we going?" And she's like, "We're going to another room. It's okay." And I remember the physical therapy and occupational therapy, and like. <laughs> I'm not proud of this stuff. Once again, frontal lobes weren't working. And so like I was, there was no filter. And like, I remember a physical therapist was interviewing me initially and she was like, so what is your goal here? And I was like, my goal. And she was like, yeah, what is your goal with this physical therapy? And excuse my language, but verbatim, I just looked at her and I was like, to get the fuck out of here. And then she was like, didn't even flinch. She was like, okay. And she like, she just wrote something down and, and I was just like, can, can, can we start or something? Like I was, I was cranky old man. And so, uh, and so yeah, physical therapy and occupational therapy, it, like, you know, God bless those therapists because I'm sure I'm not the only cr- a grumpy patient oh, they've yeah. ever yeah. dealt with. And no. so, and so like, uh, they were always so kind and patient and, and I was always so grumpy and they'd be like, all right, now let's walk over here. And I'm like, I can do it. They're like, cool, show us. And I'm like, God dang it. And so I would do it and. Uh, occupational therapy I'd be like putting like pieces into like a puzzle or something and and I was just always so cranky um and then fast forward um like it's the day to discharge oh uh yeah yeah the day to discharge um I got out of there like a bat out of hell like uh like yeah it would break my heart because you would always say when can I go home? I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. Can we go? And it was so heartbreaking yeah. because it we it had to, it all depended on like your body and your recovery and scans and yeah. You know. Kathy woke me up one day and she was just like, "Hey, we're on the verge of discharging, mm-hmm. getting discharged." And I was like, "Cool." And so like when they came in with the paperwork, I was like, "We're done." They were like, "Yeah, you're done." I was like, "I'm good." They're like, "You're good." And I was like, "We're out of here." And so like. The poor days officer, uh, like, I'm sure he was just like, yeah, I'm going to chill today and everything, hanging out at this nice hospital. I looked at him and I was like, thanks. Have a nice day. Yeah. And like, we just like walked out and uh, we got in uh, into our vehicle and we, we went home. And man, if you want to, like, as an adult, if you want to feel like a child, get put on civilian non-driving status. Mm. That was terrible like i know kind of like how dogs feel now because i for a week i think it was uh the dogs are fine the dogs are here right now our puppies and so like um uh i was at home for like a week yeah when you came home i was home for a week you were home for a bit my mom that was also kind of hard too not gonna lie but there's so many people there at the beginning and at the middle at the end, but then you go home and it's it's just you. Yeah, that's it, right? Because obviously people and have he's to still move reco- on. He's still recovering. He's still recovering, yeah. and but people have to go back to work yeah. and do Life other goes things. On. My sisters had to leave. His mom had to leave, and brother, and and so it was kind of that. It was also difficult too when we were leaving because it was. I felt like I was back alone again, and getting him home and. And navigating and so worried we'd go to sleep and I'd wake up and he'd get up to go to the bathroom he'd like stumble and I'd be like oh my god I'm like so scared and worried that he was very fragile but yeah I'm he you were home for a couple of weeks and he still couldn't drive oh dude <laughs> so, so mad oh man so I'd be at home and I would just 
like in and her mom was a saint she would make me amazing dishes and everything keep me full and happy for the most part but i'd be like watching tv take a nap on the couch watching tv take a nap on the couch and then like the door handle would jiggle and my tail would start wagging because Kathy's home and we're going to go work out. So I couldn't drive, but I could work out. And I was just like, wait, that doesn't make any sense, but okay, whatever. I'm not going to complain. And so there's this one day where I was, where I was at home, I'm watching TV and I'm just in a terrible mood. And Kathy's being an angel over here, like cooking at the kitchen, something, and just being like, happy and everything positive even if she was faking it and um and I was just like you know what I'm out of here and so I get up and I walk to the door and I grab the keys without her looking and she's like what are you doing and I was like I'm going for a walk and she was just like can I come and I was like no (laughs) and so and so I go down to my truck and I get it, and then I sit in there, I turn it on, and I'm like, okay, look, I'm not crazy. I'm not going to drive on public streets. I'm just going to drive around the parking lot to prove a point. And so I get in my truck very nice and slowly. I'm driving around the parking lot, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm a man. Don't tell me I can't drive. And then I'm like, okay, now I need to park this. And so like, I'm backing up into my same corner, and there's a huge concrete pillar on the side of it. And all of a sudden, it's just like... <laughs> And I was just like, (laughs) like since my frontal lobes were working, I was cranky and I was like crying all the time. Emotion, yeah. Oh man! (laughs) So like, and so I'm like, dang it! And so like, I look at my truck and there's a big old scrape on the side. Pillar's absolutely fine. It's huge and it's concrete. And so I go upstairs and and Kathy's just like in the kitchen. She's like, "Hey, how was your walk?" And I was like, "I crashed the truck." No, you. I was laying on the couch and you came up to me and you just like collapsed onto me and you were crying. You're like, "I drove." I'm like, "What?" (laughs) I drove my truck and I hit it against the pill. I'm like, "Okay, let's go look at it." I go look at it and I'm like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "All right." We're gonna have to hide your keys. No, please, please don't hide my keys. Please. I'm like, okay. I'm the <laughs> hiding the keys. And then like the next day I saw the keys right there. I was like, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I she had, yeah. I you this. earned that. Yeah. I deserve this. <laughs> that was a crazy time because that was April. I mean, really, from April through August was just recovery. Because once he got discharged from Baylor, he was put into outpatient therapy, so it'd have to drive him to like North Plano or something yeah. and like two or three times a week he'd do the ther- physical therapy and occupational therapy there because his remember I said he had like some right paralysis on the right side of his body mm-hmm. so he had significant weakness on his right hand versus his left and that's his gun hand and so there was a lot of work on that mm-hmm. and his gait as well was a little off um, and it like also triggered some back issues he had as well so yeah pretty much from through August, it was just therapy, 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 getting scans going What were some in. of the therapies, that, that uh, the, the treatments that that they did? Well, I, I was in As far as physical them. goes, physical therapy, um, it was walking. But uh, once the walking was, you know, nail, uh, like, was, was good to go, um, then it became, like, multitasking while walking. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I would feel ridiculous, like, doing it, but the physical therapist, super patient and understanding, they'd be like, all right, you're going to walk straight through this hallway, uh, but you're going to, 
you're going to turn your head from side to side um, as you're walking. And so they were just checking if I could multitask and stuff like that. How did that go? Well, well, really? yeah. Okay. No, off. Well, no, no he off did. Course. He would veer <laughs> off. Like, great. I was like, oh, perfect. perfect. <laughs> Joey's like, like amazing. Amazing. Joey. No. Thank you, Kat. No. Thank you. Thanks, babe. Tell us how it really was. <laughs> he, he couldn't stand on his own. Like, couldn't yeah. carry his body. He would, like, start to lean and fall. And he couldn't walk in a straight line. I got I got a question. So, Joey, for you, what was the what was the most challenging thing, uh, part of the recovery? That recovery was the most challenging to you. And then I'm going to ask Kathy what was most challenging for her. Uh, for me, it was the mental aspect. It was something's wrong with me right now. You know, I'm not 100% right now. Because, like, I'm, you know, I'm no... Rich Froning, fittest, you know, Matt Fraser, fittest guys alive in CrossFit and stuff like that. But I'm, you know, in decent shape and everything. So I'm used to, I'm used to having my full physical faculties, if you will. I, I don't like it when there's something wrong with me because I'm used to being like a problem solver. I'm used to fixing other people's problems. And so when there's something wrong with me, the mental aspect of there being a problem with me is the hardest part. Um... Because I can be pretty hard on myself, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm super chill and easygoing with everybody else, but I'm, I'm my heart, my own hardest critic, you know. Like I'm the first to admit that I did something wrong. I'm the first to admit that I could have done that better, and uh, and simply due to me being hard on myself, that was the hardest part of the recovery process. Do you think that mindset helped you get through this though? I think it uh, essentially gave me the motivation uh, to to do the things that I didn't want to do, like walking and turning my head around and stuff like that. Because you had to do that all that little shit. To, baby to, steps. Yeah, yeah. You had to literally do baby steps. To yeah, it recover. was weird. It was weird. Like, and I remember in the hospital, like rewind a tiny bit. They would have to like force me out of bed because I didn't I didn't want to walk I just wanted to sleep I wanted to sleep and wake up and this was all just like a terrible dream which and, is so unusual for you yeah yeah because like yeah like uh you know I'm you know I don't have the greatest life but I definitely don't have the worst and I'm typically very like happy-go-lucky and stuff like that and so for me to have this issue this incident this problem like you know, my mindset was in a whirlwind of just negativity of like, dang it, I can't believe this happened to me. This shouldn't be happening to me. And if this is happening to me, how can I go back to work and fix other people's problems? That's why I was so hard on myself. And and by the grace of God, you know, God watching out, uh, Kathy taking care of me and all, you know, Kathy taking care of me, all my friends and family coming out. Um, I was able to have, you know, a full, full recovery and I'll never forget it. That final follow-up, uh, with the doctor, he was like, he, and of course I'm paraphrasing, but he was just like, you can go back to normal. And he was like, I'm sorry, I don't have these conversations. And he was like, zero complications. He was like, God was looking out for you, man. And, um, and, uh. And I was like, "Can I box?" <laughs> and <laughs> Kathy, Kathy was like, no. "What?" <laughs> and I was like, "All right, Kathy all right." That. And I was like, "All right, that's fair." <laughs> <I> was like, <laughs> it's, it's, it was pretty amazing, even when he was in the hospital. Just from the moment he they they took out the tubes, they I remember nurses coming by and being like, oh, "What?" 
he can breathe on his own now? Oh yeah. my God, that's amazing. He's awake? Like they could not believe his recovery in their eyes based on what they see with other TBI patients that he was recovering so quickly. They were just amazed and the nurses were just fantastic. The ones who first admitted him in the ICU would come and see him and they would cry and give him hugs because they were just amazed. And they said, we never see this. We never see this. I bumped into one of them. I know you told me. Yeah, I'll tell the story later. But they, uh, his recovery was, was pretty awesome. And so much of it, the nurses and doctors, therapists told us related to the fact that he was, the fact that he was he was fit. He was in good health. They said that is the number one prevention for all major injuries is if you take care of yourself consistently, like leading up you, your body is going to bounce back so much quicker than anybody else's. And it's true. That's I mean, what know, they, even getting COVID. Yes. Shit, it's it's true. Healthy. And yeah. So that was pretty amazing. But yeah. that well, recovery was, I know it felt like really slow for you. Yeah. I, uh, I ended up getting uh, put on uh, light duty, um, initially I was at the front desk for like a week or so. And then I got an email and it was, uh, from, uh, fusion and, uh, they were like, Hey, you're going to be over here for light duty, uh, uh, helping out video one. And I remember thinking like, no, like I just want to be here with my friends and all that stuff. And a really good supervisor, uh, who I, who I trust. I think he's a Lieutenant now, um, Lieutenant Quinlan. Oh, uh, Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Great guy. I went up to him and I was just like, and at the time he was sergeant, I was like, Sarge, what do I do? And he was just like, well, he was like, if you want to stay here at the front desk, like we'll fight for you. But if you want my advice, I'd go to video fusion one because you could go somewhere else worse. Like a major could put a thumbs down or something and send you somewhere worse. And he was like that and networking is good. And so he gave me some sound advice. And so I went to, uh, I went there for a month, had a, had a pretty a couple interesting uh, 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 incidences happen where where I was watching cameras and I was like, oh crap, like it's happening right here. A crime you know, going on, yeah. Yeah, and like you know, we would get on. Like I remember once there was a bait activation once, and and so the bait activation occurred in Channel One, and so Fusion's on the radio and they're like Fusion on Channel One, and so the I'm watching like a football game and like the car is heading west on 30 towards central and then starts heading south to southeast and he's still on the channel with uh, channel one and I just go to him I'm like can I get on channel three please and he was just like yeah go ahead and so I go to the radio and I was like fusion on channel three and then like <laughs> everyone started texting me like what the hell are you doing and so all I was doing was he was calling it out on channel one and I was legitimately just repeating uh, verbatim what he was saying and uh and uh what's it called we ended up catching that vehicle and uh and all my buddies were texting me I think Kristen even texted me like what are you doing <laughs> hey good job by the way and everything and so like uh, I had some interesting, uh, like, you know, cool things happen at video one, develop friendships and all that goodness that I would still, uh, use to this, uh, day, uh, day as, as resources. Um, but when I finally got, uh, cleared, uh, to go, to go full duty, like I, like I threw, threw that uniform as quickly as I could. And I'll never forget when that day where I was leaving the house for the first time, like Kathy, you know, like what's it called? She she had some tears and caused me to have some tears and but but it was good. It was it was good to be back. I felt like it was too soon, and I don't know if it really was 
I know physically it wasn't too soon because he got all the clearance and I think for me it was too soon. Like I felt emotionally. You weren't ready for it. No, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for him to go back because I had been so used to watching him all day, every day for, for weeks, for months, making sure he was good. At what point did you become, you were comfortable with it? Hmm. I don't know. I'm like looking at Kristen to see if maybe you know what an answer. It was slow. I mean, I think it was slow because I mean, I remember there even being this one time you were talking to me and you said like his pupils were different sizes. Yes. Oh, and you're like, I don't even know what's going on with this. And I'm like, yeah, I I want to say for like a year ish or something. Maybe it was more when he would drink a little bit. I did. Mm. I didn't. Was not happy when he wanted well, to go uh, back to drinking. I come to I come to realize that it was whenever I would get tired. Mm. Whenever I would get tired, uh, my right eye would dilate. Yeah, and that's so, right. Yeah. And so I feel like that's what was going on because the right side of my body yeah. was was at one point it was gone. Yeah, and then it slowly came back. Mm-hmm. And so, so much harder. Yes, and yeah. so, so much harder to do things. And mm-hmm. so yeah, whenever I get tired or have a couple beers, like uh, what's called the uh, right pupil would dilate. Yeah, it was and, really and that was, a, that was well after. That was well after. Yeah. I want to say it was like a good year. Yeah, because I was surprised when you had told me that. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's doing great. Did that affect, I mean, when you first had to go back out to the range and qualify and all that, how was that for you and the focus it took to do that? So that was actually fine because, okay. yes, initially I was worried uh, because – um, my eyesight was fine, even with the, the pupil uh, dilation. Um, what was worrying me was that my right hand, my ring finger and my pinky finger were numb. And I was like, interesting. And so before I even got cleared to go full duty, when I was still on light duty, I went to the range to, to throw some rounds down range with my pistol. And uh, I remember being there like, you know, uh, clearing holster on target, started shooting, and I was like, "Oh, I'm shooting fine. I'm shooting absolutely fine. I'm just numb. That's all." And then I saw. I was like, "Were you though?" I was. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was. He's like, "But it really Please was the wrong me. target." Kind of like, kind of like driving that truck with your. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of like walking straight. Yeah. Just walking away. Did, happy. Did you have any like different? therapies that you had to do or anything different that you had to do to recover specifically your officer functioning like in being able to shoot a gun or anything like that no there were were no motor skill specific no once once we if i remember correctly because apparently i'm getting stuff wrong but like uh uh if I remember cor- uh, correctly, once the physical therapist gave me the ominous dominus, uh, they were just like, you're good. They didn't really give me any more homework to do uh, once uh, therapy was, was done. Yeah. Kathy, what was, and I remember, and everybody always, I feel like the person that gets injured who obviously goes through mm-hmm. a lot of physical or whatnot, you know, we all understand that. And I think that often the spouse or the supporter kind of gets overlooked on how hard it really is to be that person. Um, And I saw how hard it was for you from the beginning with even struggling whether you would leave the hospital. Mm -hmm. And you've been very fit. Like, you're a very workout person. And to the point where I had to be like, Kathy, you have to go work out. Like, Joey will be fine. You need to take care of yourself because this is going to be a marathon. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of him. Thank you for that. Yeah. So what was the hardest thing for you do you think 
Yeah, I remember. I do remember talking to you about that. I think that was the hardest part was that I felt like, right, because again, we have no family in the area. It's just us two. We don't have kiddos. So he's all I have. I'm all he has. And that weight of responsibility was really heavy, really, really heavy. And so I didn't know if I could trust him to anybody else Mm -hmm. when he was especially in the hospital and just not having my eyes on him. I was worried about, I was worried about him. I was, nobody else loves him as much as I love him. Right. Is what I was thinking. And so what if he gets hurt? Right. He's not their number one person the way he's my number one person. Or what if somebody makes the wrong decision? Like I wanted to be involved in everything, but that was, it was really heavy. And I I finally did take your advice and our gym owner um, at the time, uh, Gail at strong CrossFit strong, you know, came over and and told me like, you need the same thing. Kristen said like, you need to get away and you need to do something for yourself. Like you have to get outside the hospital and, and that was really hard to do. And I remember the first time I did that with Priscilla, she drove me because I, I couldn't even like drive. It was, I felt wrong. Felt I felt guilty. bad. Yeah. I felt guilty for thinking about myself when I felt like I should be thinking about him every single second of every day. It was very, very difficult for me um, even to spend a night away. But now I can see that that was good for me to do. And like Carlos and I finally got on a schedule where like one of I would go home and I would sleep for a little bit and he would go and take care. And then I would come kind of, yeah. we were both the wives for a little bit, <laughs> but you needed that. I did. Yeah. I think I did need it. I need your own I, health. Yeah. I needed it. I needed to kind of get away and clear my mind and see the sunshine. That's yeah. a big thing too. Just being outside. But it wasn't easy because I would see people walking or living their lives. And I'm like, how can everybody's life go on when mine has stopped? Like mine's completely stopped and everybody's just going on. Like I didn't, it's such a weird place to be in. It's almost like you want everybody to stop. And everybody did stop that first day or two. And that was awesome to have everybody there with me. But of course I knew Except life has to go on for everybody else, but it didn't for me. It stayed stopped for a while. But yeah, having a getaway was was pretty good. Well, you had a never-ending front row seat to everything. Right. And the people come in, visit, they slowly... they they take a further seat back. Mm -hmm. That's that's the the way it is in a a critical incident. But you always had a front row. Right. But I'm forever grateful for everybody Mm -hmm. who stopped by. And I remember as much as I can. I remember all the things. You know, I remember... Our friend Kelsey would come by and give me coffee and a Starbucks like every morning. Like I remember those little things, you know, um, somebody who would stop by and gave him like um, something to stretch his legs, you know, just all oh. those like small things. Yeah, right? like the leg yeah. roller. And the we're leg like, roller. why do like, they have so many friends? <laughs> like there are so many people coming by. I don't so understand. So many people coming by. Um so I'll never forget that. Like just the community was amazing. Like yeah. the tribe of people. When you mentioned the, the Assist the Officer Foundation mm-hmm. uh, helping with the family and the, the travel, uh, did, do you remember that? Is there any uh, – did ATO help out any other way? I remember, like, within the ver- – it must have been, yeah, as soon as he was in the hospital, that very first day, I remember somebody asking me, do you all have children? Do we need to go get them? Do you have dogs? Do we need – 
like right away everybody's like what what do you need taken care of so we can take care of it for you yeah we uh, yes and we were moving Kristen. you just reminded me y'all we were literally removing from one apartment to another that weekend so that weekend we were supposed to finish moving the boxes and then clean the apartment to go to the new one obviously couldn't do that and so right and so our friends took care of that for us they moved everything for us and they cleaned everything and set up everything but i do remember and i remember um jennifer the dpa coming by with a blanket for him i was we still had that blanket i love it yeah we do and coming by and like just asking like whatever we need and um because you know, it's a hospital. It's still kind of a business. And so I would get people coming in, like hospital staff coming in, talking to me about like, especially early on about like his will and will yeah. will you donate his body to research? And it was like, oh my God, get these people away from me. Like, or counseling, like just these random people from the hospital that wanted me to talk about things I didn't want to talk about. And people from the ATO and DPA being there to help guide me through that and you know and as soon as the bills started pouring in because they did and it was a big stack of bills you know it was it was everybody at the dpa and ato helping me like sort through just you know hey do this do that send us this send us that and even navigating through our gofundme campaign that my friend priscilla set up for us um you know she was managing that and and ATO kind of helping us work through that so that we could get as much as we could, could cover those bills. Cause man, those are, yeah, those are some bills scary that, numbers yeah. when they came in. I remember oh, you sitting there being like, Oh my God, I don't know how we're going to pay for that. Like, Kathy, don't, don't worry about right, it. Because that was man. another thing, right? Like yeah. our lives quote unquote still went on during the TBI, which meant like I, we still rent. had to pay rent. We still had to pay insurance. We still had to pay car. Like, all of those, my work, like all of those things were still happening. His work too, right? Like I didn't know anything about time off. I still kind of don't understand. Oh, time he was off. on trade leave. time. That was funny. The leave policy that y'all have, I still don't understand. So I didn't even know how to, I still had to handle all that business part of us I'll, too. I'll never forget. Uh, one day I woke up and I was just like, oh my God, I don't have a lot of PTO. And I was freaking out. And I was just like, no, 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 no. Like, I need to get out of here. I need to go back to work. And I remember everyone was like, no, it's cool. It's cool. Don't worry about it. And so I called, once again, Sergeant uh, Quinlan at the time. And Great I was, man. Okay. And I was just like, I was like, Sarge, um, don't worry. I'm getting out of here as soon as I can. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming back with the Sarge. helmet on. It was pretty funny. No. And like, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here, but I'm going to get out of here. And like, uh, and he was like, Joey, he's like, calm down. He was like, you're on time trade. I was like, I don't know what that is. And he was just like, people are working for you so you can get a paycheck. And I was like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. but so like, so they're working on their own time. And he was just like, yes. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And he was just like, yeah. that was amazing. And it filled up. Like, it wasn't like hard to <sighs> find people to work it. It filled up. That's, it was easy. Thanks, guys. That means a lot. I mean, really, it just, so grateful yeah. for the foundation and the DPA and everybody because it was a lot, right? Like, that part of life still moved on. All those logistics of adulting still still kept going. And, and I was I was the only one. Uh, that had to handle it and that, so trying to make sure he's okay and recover physically but then also making sure we could still 
to have eat a house and have a yeah. place yeah. to live like that. Someone has to feed him because right. he's not cooking. No, he's not cooking. <laughs> Are there any differences that you see in yourself now? Is it going through all that? Well, um, I definitely understand that I'm not as like invincible as as I used to portray myself as. You know, like uh, I used to think, you know, like I'll be okay. You know, like like um, you know, I've been shot at. I've had back injuries. I've had other kind of injuries, and I've always kind of like uh, came back. Um, but this was an eye opener. Um, and even though I did come back, I came back, I feel like I came back the way I did thanks to not only my, my lovely wife here, but also all the friends and family, um, brothers in blue, sisters in blue that came together to, to help me recover. And so even though, yes, I did come back from this now, you know, I, I have a little bit, I'm a little bit more humble uh, regarding, uh, the sensitivity of, of my life or whatever, or the mortality of my life. And so I have an understanding that, yeah, shit can happen. So just do your best to, to avoid it, you know, like, uh, stay, stay fit, stay, stay healthy, uh, stay happy, positive because a positive mindset, uh, can go a long way, especially in, in health. And so, so that's, uh, and also like, um, I remember before this incident, like, you know, I, I loved my wife, you know, and, and I remember, you know, you, you always, like, I'm a worst case scenario guy. Like I'm always thinking worst case scenarios and stuff like that. And I remember thinking like, oh, like, you know, if, if it, if it never, like, if it didn't work out with Kathy and I, like, you know, I'd be sad, you know, but. But I, you know, essentially get over it for the most part. But now, like, with with everything that we've been through, like, I'd be devastated. Because it's just like, dude, how did you mess that up? You know, because, like, I'm, I'm the okayest guy you'll ever meet because I have a great home life. And Kathy is 100% the reason behind that. And I am very blessed and thankful for her. You're welcome. <laughs> She's like, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just think that you guys are both two incredible people. And I think that the fact that there were so many people there and, you know, we, there is the blue fam aspect, but I think that really just how loved Joey is and how great a person he is and how great you both are. You guys had so many friends. They're not just yeah. officers, CrossFit people and Kathy's yeah. family and Joey's family. And I just think that, you know, you guys are incredible and that's why you guys had so many people there to support you and it was great to see it definitely makes me feel like I want to live up to to being his wife like I'm so proud to be his wife and I want to live up to that but seeing all the people that showed up for us all the people that like love and care for him it makes me like I know it's really cliche like oh this person makes me want to be a better person but it's really kind of true like I want to be worthy of that person that everybody shows up for like that's amazing would would people that many people have showed up for me like it makes me think that too like wow what so really that impact that you have on people if you meet them for one day you know them for a day or you know them for a year or 10 years like it goes a long way right like people remember 
that. And I, and I think Joey has that incredible impact and I, I always strive to be worthy of it. All right, Joey, I got one final question for you. You, we talked about you coming on here and you really wanted to, you, you had a reason you wanted to come on, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I think this podcast, this, this platform is, is the best in, in order to, in order to thank everybody, thank everybody that showed up for, for Kathy and I, when it was just Kathy and I, you know, because like she said, you know, we don't have any blood like family up here in the DFW area, you know, it's just us. Okay. And as far as our friends, family, brothers and sisters in blue, um, we can't thank y'all enough uh, for what y'all did to help us through this critical incident. And from the bottom of my heart, from, from the bottom of our hearts, I just, I just want to thank everybody that helped in any way, shape or form. I don't care how small it was, if you were on special assignment for the day at that hospital, if you donated in any way, shape, or form, if you even sent a text message saying, hey, you're, you know, you're in our thoughts and prayers, like, our friends and family are the reason why we're still, we're still alive and kicking, and we are internally grateful for each and every one of you. I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Thank y'all both for coming on here. Uh, I am so honored to, I got, got to meet you, you know, uh, recently and we're hanging out more and, um, I'm getting to know the real Joey and I think the listener is going to hear who the real Joey is and they're going to be inspired. Thank you for having us. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. Sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. you heavy when the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder together we'll run up from the bottom yeah we'll rise above hey brother hey sister I'll never give up on you hey missus hey I'll see this all the way through No matter how far the sun and the moon I'll never give up on you
I'll never give up on you. 